And welcome into the Wednesday one of everybody here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. I'm your host, Jack Heim, and I have to start off with saying, because if you just, just take one look at the date, it's May 4th, so may the 4th be with everyone out there today. Uh, but it's a great Wednesday. I do have to say, though, this is the last show of the semester. I, I have already made the decision that I'm not going to be having a show during finals week, uh, but I will be trying to continue hosting the show uh, bi-weekly or really, really whenever I can over the summer. Uh, so, you know, I want to keep up the sports talk thing. You know, I like doing this stuff. So uh, it's just a fun, it's a fun little thing. And uh, you know, I just have to, had to get some quick announcements out of the way there. And my wonderful co-host, Mitchell Spendley, will be joining me for the second hour of today's show uh, as per usual as he's sitting in his 2 o'clock class right now. Hope he's having a decent time. I know he'd rather be here, but we're here to go to college. So you got to keep up the academics and do everything you got to do. Uh, as we wind down towards the end of the semester, uh, but we're gonna we're not gonna waste any more time here. We're gonna get right into some sports news. NHL playoffs are in full swing, and I haven't talked a lot about hockey on this show, uh, but I'm gonna start doing a little bit more so as the playoffs rage on. Uh, and really, I only didn't talk about it because not a lot was happening. You know, I, I like to keep the sports info going, keep the news up, but I feel like game recaps and stuff like that. You know, it, it's good to keep people informed on what's going on in the games and stuff, but. There wasn't really any major breaking headlines, so, you know, here on the show, you know, I want to keep the information fresh, I don't want to be redundant, uh, you know, keep keep things going on with currently what's going on, and just not not trying to be boring, I want to be informative, I want to be, you know, exciting, and I want to be, you know, just a good source of tuning to to get your news about sports, but for hockey, the playoffs are in full swing, first round's happening, uh, you know, game ones for every series have been played, games two, game two for every series that was played on Monday night. Uh, is going to happen tonight, so a lot to look forward to. Uh, we're going to give series breakdowns so far of Game 1, what happened there. Uh, because it is playoff time, give you some of the biggest headlines from the series, what we can expect looking forward, uh, and how the rest of these series could shape up, and how potentially the rest of the bracket uh, could shape up. Uh, but overall, we're going to get right into things, and we're going to kick it off with the first game uh, that happened between Carolina and Boston uh, down at PNC Arena. Uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. I went to a Carolina game a couple years back. It was a regular season game against the Rangers, but the Canes didn't have a lot of the players they have now, so they weren't as good. It was still a fun game to go to, though. Going to a professional sporting game is always a good time. Uh, so, And I was sitting next to a couple of funny Rangers fans. Uh, but overall, it was a good experience. But talking about Carolina now, the Canes rolled on to a 5-1 win over the Boston Bruins uh, in Game 1, and really they controlled this game from start to finish. Uh, overall, you know, this team finished first in the Metropolitan Division for a reason. They had 100 and I believe 20 points, maybe 118. Let me, I got to take a quick look at the standings. Uh, but Carolina, despite, no, their points allowed a strong season. It was 116 points, 54 wins, uh, 20 losses, 8 OT losses. So a great season for Carolina uh, to win the Metro Division title. And this team has been a constant contender in the Eastern Conference for the past couple of years now. They've been very good. They've had this core. They've only added on to it, adding pieces in recent years like Vincent Trocheck uh, and young guys like Seth Jarvis have come into the mix and have been real impact guys off the rip. And, of course, you have Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov, you know, holding it down to some of the top talent. They even got Jesperi Kokaniemi, who was a former top-five draft pick by Montreal. Didn't really work out too much there. They brought him in. He's fit well with Carolina. So they have a lot of guys who know their role. They fit in well. This Canes team is very well-constructed. Uh, and really, goaltender play has been something that's held them back the last couple of years, but I think they have some more solid play back there this year. So this is a team that could very well make a deep playoff run uh, and could potentially be a team to take it, uh, take home the Stanley Cup when it's all said and done. You know, I'm not sure how that's going to happen, not sure that's going to happen, but this is a team that has the talent and the capabilities to do so. 
Uh, speaking of goaltending, Antti Ranta got the game one start for Carolina, uh, and he made 35 saves and 36 shots. So what a way to kick off his Carolina playoff uh, tenure with a very strong outing against a solid Bruins squad. Uh, but, you know, we talked a lot about Carolina, how they have a good mix of, you know, veterans and youth. And this is still one of the younger teams, you know, based just on their elite talent level. Uh, but I think a guy like Vinny Trocek, I mentioned him already, he's a big difference maker. He was with Florida for a while, uh, but now he's come over to Carolina. He's still just as good. And he's a guy who's expected he's a uh, upcoming free agent after this year. He's going to get paid a good amount of money. I uh, expect his AAV to be over $6 million. Quite easily could surpass $7 million, maybe even $7.5 uh, But, you know, he's a guy who can, he's expected to get paid a good amount of money. Uh, this upcoming offseason to be very solid for Carolina. Uh, and he scored in game one with a silky backhand shot from a tough angle. And he put it off the shoulder of Linus Allmark and in, uh, which was the dagger in game one to make it 4-1 to one before the Canes ultimately deposited an empty net goal to set it in stone and make it 5-1 to one to secure the win. But we talked a lot about Carolina, and now we got to look at Boston. And, you know, game one didn't go their way. Rough kind of game. Uh, but this is a group of v- veterans. You know, they have some youth, not a lot, but this is a very veteran-oriented team. Guys like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and Taylor Hall, who are all 30 or older, are really holding down the fort at the top on uh, the forward unit. You know, their best younger guy is David Pasternak, of course, who is a star, uh, and he's been... A prolific goal scorer now for quite some time in this league. Uh, I believe he's only 25, so he's still very young. I'm getting it quick. Yes, 25. He nailed it on the head there. Uh, but, you know, he's playing with Bergeron and Marchand. He's such a very good player in that top line. They call it the perfection line for a reason. They are so good. Uh, but game one didn't go their way. But you got to look at this Bruins roster and say, you know, this could be one of the last runs for this core. Bergeron's 36, Marchand's 33. And while they're still both very good players, you know, the runs are getting towards an end. You know, these guys are getting older. Like I mentioned, you know, could this be one of, if not the last runs with this core? You know, I think they have a lot of good guys in peace, but they have a lot of older guys. They got Nick Felino, who's an older guy. Uh, Curtis Lazar is a veteran. They just have a bunch of veteran guys who are not getting any younger. A lot of them on the plus side of 30. You know, will this be one of the last times this Bruins team could perform at an elite enough level uh, to bring a Stanley Cup back to Boston? You know, I'm not sure. I think they could have one, maybe two more years with this core, uh, but you know, with Bergeron and Marchand, like I mentioned, getting older, while they're still playing at a very high level, you know, they're going to fizzle out sooner rather than later. More Mar- no, more Bergeron, excuse me, because he's three years older than Marchand, uh, but Bergeron, you know, can he get a cup, you know, as he heads out? I'm not sure, but we got to get a quick message from the KUR Notebook before we go back into Stanley Cup Playoff Talk. Attention KU community, did you know that the tutoring services office provides KU students with math peer tutoring? This service is completely free and no appointment is needed. This covers everything from Math 17 to Calculus. If you are interested, Math Peer Tutoring is offered Monday through Thursday from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. in Lytle Room 218. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Welcome back to the Wednesday Wind Up, everybody. I'm your host, Jack Heim, going back into Stanley Cup Playoffs first round recap with the Carolina Hurricanes rolling in game one over the Boston Bruins by a score of 5-1. to one. And just taking a look at both of these rosters, where they stand now, where they look at this series. So game one, like I mentioned, dominant win for Carolina. For Boston, what do they got to do and come out in game two? Well, I think clearly they have to put be- put forth a better offensive effort. When, uh, scoring one goal is not going to help you win hockey games, especially against a star-studded defensive team like Carolina. I mentioned a lot of their forwards, uh, but they got you know Brady Shea on the back end, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slave, and they have a lot of guys who are very good in their own defensive zone. And, of course, that makes the goaltender's job a heck of a lot easier. So for Boston, you're going to have to penetrate, you know, 
get, get in on the four check. Uh, you know, just put pressure back on the defense. If you can't do that, you're going to have a very hard time winning this series. You know, as an Islanders fan and watching a lot of deep playoff runs the past couple of years, and we ultimately faltered against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I'll talk about in a little bit. You know, what they did so well is they were able to play a plethora of styles of hockey. They didn't have just one singular style. They knew how to play a lot of different styles of hockey at a very high level, and that's what Stanley Cup winning teams are able to do. For Boston, you know, this is a team that's going to grind you out. You know, they're physical. They're not the fastest team uh, in the league by any means. You know, I, as I mentioned with their heavily veteran group, they're not a fast hockey team, but they can wear you down with their physicality. Carolina, I think, has done a good job of building a roster that can match it. And past years, they've been a little bit, a little bit physically worn out uh, by some of the faster teams that can skate and also hit. But I think this year's Canes team has a different look and can match in kind of old school, you know, hard hitting physical type of brunty team uh, in Boston. So I don't like the outlook for the Bruins in this series. I think this is a bad draw for them. Uh, you know, game one, I don't know if the series is going to be as dominant as game one was, but I think the Canes can win this in five or six. I just don't like the matchup. You know, stylistically, I think the Canes have much better overall roster buildup. They, they can play a lot of different kind of ways. They can play slow. They can play fast. Uh, you know, they can play physical. They can play, you know, skate around the zone and speed you out. So it's just... I don't like the the draw for Boston. I don't think they can adapt to a different styles of play. Uh, not I mean, not saying Boston's a bad team. They're a good team. They got 100-plus points in the regular season, as did every team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but for first-round playoff draws, I don't think this is the matchup that Boston would have been looking for. I think they would have been much better suited against a team like a Toronto, uh, you know, or maybe even Tampa. But the, to draw Carolina the way it went in Game 1, I think it's going to be a Big-time series win for Carolina. And a little bit of payback from 2019. These two teams met in the conference finals uh, where Boston swept the Canes en route to a Stanley Cup final where they ultimately lost to the St. Louis Blues who won their first cup uh, in franchise history. Uh, but I think the Canes are going to get a little bit of payback in this series. And these teams have met quite a lot over the past couple of years uh, in the playoffs. I think the Canes get it this time. I just like the way the Canes are constructed stylistically. I got Carolina. Uh, I don't see much changing. I, I Like I said, five or six. I'd probably lean six. I think Boston could steal a couple, you know, get get one at home, maybe get one on the road. It depends. You know, game two is going to be pivotal. If Carolina goes up 2-0, it's, it's looking real rough for Boston. But we're going to move to our second series uh, in the Eastern Conference between two Atlantic Division teams. You have the second-placed Maple Leafs in their division versus the third-placed Lightning. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, got off to a very rocky start in this series. The Toronto Maple Leafs, excuse me, quite frankly, just dominated. They dominated from start to finish. It was a 5-0 score. Uh, and Tampa Bay just could get nothing going. You know, it felt like whenever the momentum started to shift a little bit towards Tampa Bay, the Leafs snatched it right back, and they let him get nothing. Jake Muzzin netted the first one. Austin Matthews had a two-goal game as he's one of the most prolific players in the league. He's such an elite goal scorer. Uh, and overall, you know, could this be the year that the Leafs get it done? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won a playoff series since 2004. It's been a long time coming for this Maple Leafs uh, for the Maple Leafs fans and the team. They haven't won a cup since the 60s. I believe 67 was the last time they won a Stanley Cup. Uh, and, you know, it, it, you know, Maple Leafs fans have gone through a lot of turmoil. You know, in the playoffs, they've seen some you know, collapses. They've had three one-series leads. You know, Boston's been their real kryptonite. They haven't had to face them this year, uh, you know, which is good. But when you're playing the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, that's not an easy draw either. But they looked really good in Game 1. They looked like they could control it. This Lightning team did not look the same as they did in years past. Uh, and overall, you know, I don't know what's going to keep up. I don't think it is. I think the Carolina series is much different than this one. I think the Lightning are definitely going to bounce back. They're way too talented. They have way too much playoff experience. 
Uh, and this team is just, again, they're just different than Boston. They're better. Uh, they have better goaltending. They're, they're just better all around. I don't think the Leafs are going to be able to keep up this domination style of play uh, through a seven-game series. I think the Lightning are going to keep it close. I think they could even come back and very well win the series in as little as six games. So, uh, again, 5 nothing win. Good job by the Leafs, but we've seen this before. We've seen this in years past. Toronto's come out off the jump, dominated early in series, and they've come back to collapse and lose it. Uh, so we've been, we've been down this road before. I liked what I saw from Toronto, but I'm not going to fully buy in it yet. I got to see it at least once more. You know, if they come out and do this again in game two, I'd be much more willing to say, hey, you know what? The Leafs are going to get past the first round this year. This is their year to win a playoff series. Tampa Bay just doesn't look the same. They've played a lot of hockey, and they have. They've played a lot of hockey games over the past couple of years, and that can really wear you down as an athlete. But again, I got to see it again. You know, last year, the Islanders controlled the Lightning in game one of the conference finals. Tampa Bay won the series in seven. Uh, and they played a lot of good games after that. So we're going to see what the response to adversity is early in the playoffs from John Cooper and this Tampa Bay Lightning squad. They faced it before. They've gotten through it. There's a reason they've won back-to-back Stanley Cup Finals. I don't think it's a... Uh, it's, it would be an overreaction to say the Leafs would be able to control this series quite easily. Uh, so that's really all I got on that. I think the Lightning are way too good uh, to not bounce back. But I think if they are going to bounce back, I think it's got to be through Braden Point uh, and guys like Kucherov and them. You know, those are the guys who are going to step up. Braden Point had a big playoffs last year, as did Kucherov uh, and Stamkos. But, uh, again, it's got to go through those guys. Your star players are going to have to win games. Uh, and I think they'll bounce back in game two and be fine uh, and take one and even the series going back to Tampa for game three. But for the rest of the series, if I had to pick a winner, right now I'd say I'd say Toronto. I know I said I could see Tampa winning in six, but just Toronto, I don't know. The team just feels a little bit different this year. So I got the Leafs probably winning this series. In, in seven, I think it's going to go the distance. We're going to move to the West now a little bit. Uh, as the there were four game ones played on Monday night, the Blues and the Minnesota Wild. St. Louis took it four to nothing in pretty controlling fashion. David Perron posted a hat trick for St. Louis and a hostile environment in Minnesota. So good for them. Uh, you know, not not a lot of headlines coming out of this game. Perron posted the hat trick. Ville Husso, though, one big one, got his first ever career playoff start for St. Louis. He posted a 37-save shutout, and he was the first Blues goalie to ever do that, uh, get a shutout in their playoff debut. So good for him. Congratulations for Ville Husso. Uh, but for the Wild, on the flip side, they got to take game two. You know, dropping game one in your home ice, never something uh, that you picture as ideal in the playoffs. But if they go down 2-0 against a talented St. Louis bunch, going back uh, to the rowdy environment of the Enterprise Center, not a good outlook in terms of trying to win this series. I, essentially, I think Game 2 is a must-win, or this series could get ugly real quick, and the Wild, could, the Blues could even sweep. You know, these two teams are very strong. The, the Wild made some good moves at the deadline, picking up Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, got some back-end help for the defense. But, you know, it's not going to matter if you if you lose in the first round. All those moves will be for naught. So I think they got to turn things around, take Game 2, completely changes the outlook of the series. But for the Blues, you got to keep doing what you're doing. you got a very experienced group. you got a smart group led by Craig Berube, the head coach who won the Stanley Cup just a few, few short years ago, like, like I referenced earlier. You know, this roster is well-constructed. We have a young guy step up, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, both having really strong campaigns this year, along with Ryan O'Reilly, who's a great two-way forward. Uh, you know, this team is very solidly constructed, uh, and they've been put together methodically over the past couple of years. A lot of the players who won the Cup are, are on this team. So, overall, I like the way the Blues look. They looked good in Game 1. I think they can most certainly keep it up, and this team could be in store for a deep playoff run. The only concern I have is will the goaltending be consistent enough? Uh, will the pairing of Huso uh, and Jordan Bennington be good enough to carry the Blues far enough in the playoffs? I'm not certainly sure. If I had a bet on a team with goaltending in this series, I'd say it's the Wild with Marc-Andre Fleury, 
But again, you got to get enough help in front of your goaltender uh, to make the goalie conversation even matter. So overall, I think the Wild in front of Flurry, they got to play much better in Game 2 if they want to take it and to take the series. Uh, but for the Blues, it's to start you exactly what you were looking for, come out on the road, dominate a rival, uh, and what's shaping up to hopefully be a good series. But like I mentioned earlier, Blues could easily run away with this one. Uh, you know, I don't. It's either going to go one way or another. It's going to going to go the distance, or it's going to be lopsided one way or another. I don't see really an in between. You know, six game win for the Blues in this one. I just don't see that being that. I don't see this being uh, that kind of series. But we're going to step aside here on the Wednesday windup. When we come back, more Stanley Cup playoff breakdown ahead. Stick with us. And welcome back to the Wednesday windup, everybody. I'm your host Jack Heim. Going back in a Stanley Cup playoff recap here through Game One of every game that happened Monday night, and we'll get into last night's action and previewing the road ahead for the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The LA Kings outdueled the Edmonton Oilers in Game 1 in Edmonton by a score of 4-3, to three. so Connor McDavid and company falling uh, behind in the series early on. So looking at what, what happened in this game, it was a 2-0 early lead for LA. Connor McDavid scored an absolutely nasty goal uh, to bring the Oilers within a goal before they tied it, and then it kind of went back and forth after that. Uh, with Philip Deneau scoring the game winner uh, in the third period, four to three. Uh, but looking at this one, it was a close game. You know, considering Edmonton got behind the eight ball early, things weren't going well. They were down two nothing. They could have easily folded and quit. Uh, but that Connor McDavid goal, I believe it was on the power play. Darnell Nurse just dropped it to him, and McDavid took the length of the ice, bursting through on the right side, cutting into the middle, and sniping Jonathan Quick. I mean, Connor McDavid. Scores goals that you don't see many players score, if any. You know, he's a one-of-a-kind talent, uh, an elite player. You know, cream of the crop, insert metaphor to describe, uh, you know, the best player in the league in terms of all-around skill set on the offensive side. McDavid is just so immensely talented, uh, and he's a guy that just, he's a, he's a generational-type talent. Uh, you know, that's all I have to say about him and watching him, you know, as a hockey fan is just master class. You know, you tip your cap to those kind of talents uh, and you just have to sit back and, you know, be awestruck by what he's able to do, you know, in an NHL uh, arena. And just, it's just, he's just amazing. He is just simply amazing. Uh, but despite his immense talent and how amazing he is, uh, the Oilers did fall in game one. Uh, and despite their efforts to come back and tie it multiple times, tied it at two, tied it at three, uh, they were not able to do enough to take game one at home. And now looking at the rest of the series in an outlook, Jonathan Quick looked really good in Game 1. He gave up three goals, but he just has this way of stepping up his game uh, in the playoffs. You know, he's a guy who's always been good. He was a critical part of the Kings teams that won two Stanley Cups uh, in 2012 and 2014. Uh, and overall, he's, he's always been good in the playoffs. You know, they've been in a little bit of a rut, you know, getting to the playoffs recently. They've gone through a little bit of a rebuild slash retool phase, but they're back. This team's got a good core now, um, you know, not really a lot of young stars, but they've been able to find pieces and ways to get the job done back in the playoffs. And, you know, Quick looked really good last night, uh, considering his age His age being 36. Still looked very good in net for L.A., and they were able to take game one. Now, for the rest of the series, you know, Edmonton, of course, is, has the the speed edge, the star edge, and McDavid and Dreitzel, those two guys are a, you know, a duo to be reckoned with. But, you know, L.A. is just... They've had this way of getting it done all year. No one really saw the Kings as a playoff team, but they were able to step up their game and get it done. Uh, and just, you know, they, they, they just find ways to win. And when you have a team that just knows how to win and find ways to get it done, it's, excuse me, hard to doubt them in the playoffs, uh, especially when a team like Edmonton has not been in the playoffs a whole lot. Uh, you know, Connor McDavid's only made the playoffs 
one singular time. Lost in the second round to San Jose uh, back in the 2016 year where the Sharks lost in the Stanley Cup final to the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, when they won uh, back-to-back. That was the first of their two back-to-back Stanley Cup finals where they beat Nashville the year after. Uh, but for Edmonton, you know, not a lot of playoff experiences. Kings team's older. Kopitar, Quick, Drew Doughty. You know, these guys have been around the block. Dustin Brown, you know, these guys have been there. They've won Stanley Cups. They've been in the playoffs. They know what it takes to win. And when you compare ex- playoff experience to playoff inexperience, you're going to have to lean to the, onto the side of playoff experience because they know what it takes. Not that Edmonton doesn't. You know, they've won a playoff series before. But, you know, you compare one playoff series win to multiple Stanley Cup wins, you know, there's a big gap. There's a big gap and big disparity there. So I think the Kings ultimately do have the upper hand despite, you know, having to go on the road for the first two games. They took game one. If they take game two, Edmonton's already back on their heels. Having to go to Los Angeles would not be a good look. So I think the, the Oilers could be in trouble. I'm not going to slam the panic button yet on this series, uh, but it was big for LA to take game one in the way that they did it. You know, they got off to a strong start, like I mentioned, and were able to hold on and survive. They're just doing enough to get the win. Uh, and that's ultimately what good teams are able to do in the playoffs. Just find a way to get things done. You know, you do just enough to get a win. Hey, you know what wasn't our finest game, but we scored four goals. You move on to the next one. You take your win and you advance on. So, you know, they're going to be playing game two tonight. Uh, you know, so that's going to be settled. Uh, so for the final game in Edmonton before they go to Los Angeles. Uh, but overall, good start to the series for the Kings. I like what they did. I think this is not the ultimate res- recipe for success. But again, teams that know ways, know how to find ways to win in a different variety ultimately proves for a benefit. And I like the experience over the inexperience. So if I had to predict a series winner as of right now after game one, I'd say the LA Kings are going to take this one in six games. Uh, again, I just like what they're doing. They're experienced. They know how to get it done in the playoffs. I like the Kings, and I'm going to err on the side of experience versus inexperience. That's where the that's where the difference is for me. A lot of these guys for the Oilers have not played a whole lot of playoff games, despite having some experienced players, uh, but they've really never been a whole lot farther uh, than the first round. So, you know, that's really all I got to say on that. We're going to move into yesterday's action, starting off with the 8v1 matchup in the Eastern Conference. The Washington Capitals went down to Sunrise, Florida to take on the top seed Florida Panthers. Uh, and the Caps won. To a lot of people's surprise, the Washington Capitals stole game one 4-2. And they looked good doing it. They were able to play really strong defense in game one. And were finding just ways to shut down this very potent Panthers offense. This this Panthers team's put up eight-plus goals, I believe, six times in the regular season. And again, playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. I know that. But for a team that's that high-powered in the offensive end, you know, to be able to play the type of the defense the Capitals played in Game 1, it was very impressive to see. Will they be able to replicate it through a full series and win four games? I'm not entirely sure, uh, but to take Game 1 on the road against that uh, high that high caliber of a team in Florida, very impressive to see. T.J. Oshie credited with a game winner. He scored the goal to make it 3-2 uh, before an empty ender from Lars Eller sealed the deal to make it a 4-2 win. Overall, I liked what I saw. Tom Wilson got it started early with a one nothing. A lead early in the game. Sam Bennett responded. And then Claude Giroux scored for the Cats. Now the former Flyer captain uh, in his first playoff game with the Panthers. He was clearly excited to be back because he scored. Uh, So, again, I think Florida's going to get the ship right. They're going to get it sailing in the right direction. Uh, Just not the way you want to start things. But, hey, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. I I think the Panthers will be fine. I think they're going to win this series in six games. I know I'm predicting a lot of six-game series wins, but I think that's how a lot of these series are going to go. They're not, 
you know, it's a lot of strange matches this year. And I was talking about my cousin, you know, about this last night and just a lot of talk in general about these hockey playoffs. You know, there's not a whole lot of traditional rivalry matchups this year. You know, Panthers, Capitals, Lightning, Lightning, Maple Leafs, Bruins, Carolina. You know, that's a little bit of rivalry-ish, I guess, because they've met a, you know the last couple of years in the playoffs. But I, there's not, a, not there's not a lot not a whole lot of traditional rivalry matchups. There's no Toronto, Boston's, um, you know, those kind of matchups. You know, on, on that scale. You know, L.A. Oilers. That's a, that's not a big rivalry. Those teams have barely any correlation to, the, to each other. So, you know, same division, same conference, but they're not bitter rivals. It's not like it's King Sharks. You know, that would be a whole lot more interesting, or even Kings Ducks. Like, those are rivalry matchups that, based on geographical location, just make it more intense. The fan bases can be a little bit more active and go into the games. Uh, and, you know, those two, two teams have a little bit of animosity towards each other. But, again, we're not seeing a whole lot of that this year, which is why I think these first-round matchups are very intriguing to look at uh, and analyze and break down. It's going to be interesting to see how they shape up. But I, going back to the Panthers and Capitals, I think the Panthers will get on the right track. I think they'll uh, be able to iron things out. They'll be fine. I think they'll take the series. Excuse me. Going on to the next series, this one, this one is probably the biggest rivalry series uh, in all of the first round. The New York Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. As these two, te- these two teams, uh, a lot of talent, you know, some bad blood uh, already being shown in Game 1. Uh, Malkin got the game winner in a triple overtime thriller that went late into the night yesterday. Uh, but Malkin got it off of the deflection. John Marino shot from the point, hit a Rangers defenseman in front, and then redirected, re- excuse me, off of Evgeny Malkin's stick into the back of the net. Uh, and the Penguins went into a frenzy as they take Game 1 in Madison Square Garden and Rangers fans were just just sad, uh, just sad times. So as an Islanders fan, that makes me a little bit happy to see the Rangers uh, take a game one loss in the playoffs. Uh, as I don't like either of these two teams, but I'm clearly rooting for Pittsburgh as the Rangers and Islanders have a bitter rivalry. Uh, but good to see Malkin get the goal there for the Penguins. Uh, Ricard Raquel, big injury notes, left the game early. Uh, you know, I believe late in the first period, he took a hit up high from Ryan Lindgren. Uh, he was a little bit woozy getting off the ice. Uh, so hopefully he's all okay. And then later in the game, Ryan Lindgren, uh, he appeared to be injured after the second overtime period. I don't think he returned to play in the triple overtime period. Uh, so, you know, the guy who laid that, you know, a little bit of a questionable hit earlier, he left injured. So a lot of injuries in game one, you know, a lot of guys leaving. Casey DeSmith, the goalie, left uh, in, in, in double overtime and even in a triple overtime. So he left the game. He took a shot up high. Uh, and and he went back to see the trainers, did not return. So Louis Domingue, the young son hero, Louis Domingue, the backup goalie, the third-string goalie technically because Tristan Jari is not available, uh, he had to step in in triple overtime, double-slash-triple overtime, make some big-time saves, uh, and even lock up the win. Uh, so congratulations, Louis Domingue. You know, funny, it was a post-game interview with him. He, you know, they were they were talking, and he was talking with the reporter. He had a meal in between the first and second overtime periods. Uh, so he was clearly not expecting to go into the game, uh, but he did. He played very strong, made every save that he had to, uh, and the Penguins took game one. So that's what makes the playoffs just so fun. You see guys who are not traditionally expected to step up in big spots, but he got flung into the situation. He had to go off the cuff, go on the fly, uh, but he was able to get it done, uh, make, make the saves he had to in net, and ultimately... Do enough to keep the Penguins tied and eventually let them get the win. So that's why sports combined team, team effort. Louis Domingue did his job uh, when he was called upon, you know, in a big time situation for Pittsburgh. You know, he's a guy who's been sent up and sent down. He's played in eight different AHL seasons. Uh, so he's been in a lot of minor league hockey, but he got his big moment in game one of this series 
against the Rangers and the Penguins won it. But this series is going to be very physical. A lot of, uh, you know, scrums after the whistle. These two teams clearly don't like each other. It's going to be a fun series to watch. A lot of physicality. Uh, but, you know, there's another series that we're going to get to a little bit later that has just as much, if not more, physicality. But a quick recap of an in-between series here between the Avalanche and the Predators. Not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this because... The Avalanche just simply dominated. They won game one 7-2. They scored five first-period goals. McKinnon and Taze got the party started early, scoring two goals, 22 seconds apart uh, in the first three minutes of the game to make it 2-0. Uh, and the Avalanche really ran away with it after that. Five first-period goals were up 6-0 before Matt Duchesne, you know, stopped the bleeding a little bit by making it 6-1, but the Avalanche added on another. Uh, and it, the final score ended up being 7-2. So, overall... Avalanche, they looked really good. This team is so talented. Expected to go on a deep playoff run. A heavy Stanley Cup favorite out of the Western Conference, and they proved it. Uh, but a big storyline was UC Soros, the starting goaltender for Nashville, not being available for Game 1. He will not be available for Game 2 either, based on what I've read. So that's not a good sign for Nashville. He got hurt late in the regular season. Uh, was saw limping off the ice and I believe, one of their final regular season games. So hopefully he heals, he, he heals up. Uh, and gets healthy soon so he can, you know, play in this series and provide some impact on the back end uh, for Nashville. But David Riddich got roughed up early. Eight saves on 13 shots before Connor Ingram had to come in. He only led up two goals. I believe he had 30 saves on 32 shots. Uh, so he was able to do a much better job uh, to limit the damage when he came in. But at that point, it was already 5-0. The game was out of reach on the Avalanche coasted. So 7-2, I expect the Avalanche to dominate this series. They're clearly the better team. Unfortunate for Nationals, they had a great season. A lot of guys step up for them uh, to get them to this spot, but they ran into a beast of a team uh, in round one in Colorado. Just so good uh, that they're, you know, it's just not a good draw. Just like Boston, Carolina, not a good draw for Nashville. We're going to move on to the final series here before we get into a little bit of a college football talk and maybe even some NBA, but we got Flames and Stars, and this one was just as physical as Rangers and Penguins. It was a 1-0 win in Game 1 for Calgary. They were home, and Elias Lindholm netted the lone goal of the game in the first period. It was a power play goal. Markstrom had an easy night in net for Calgary, only having to make a 16 saves uh, to lock up the shutout. Uh, and another funny post-game remark was head coach Daryl Sutter for Calgary. He was getting interviewed and asked, you know, would you prefer your player Matt Kachuk to not get involved in that scuffle with... Uh, uh, Michael Roffle and Daryl Sutter blatantly came out and said, no, I encourage that. It's playoff hockey. you got to get a little bit physical. It's going to be chippy hockey. You know, you're, you're going to get in a little bit of altercations with players because the stakes are high. I fully encourage it. And you know what? I like that answer. You know, playoff hockey is not supposed to be played lightly. It's supposed to be played soft. You know, these guys played through some ridiculous injuries, uh, which is just absolutely insane. But, you know, playoff hockey is just a different breed. Uh, and, you know, you got to be willing to, you know, be physical, be tough. Uh, and you know, get a little get get into some altercations because that's what it's going to be at the end of the day. You know, everyone's competing at the highest level of hockey. Everyone wants to win the Stanley Cup, uh, and emotions are going to be running high. So there's definitely going to be some physical altercations. You got to be willing to get involved in those. Uh, you know, to, to not only prove your toughness, but just stick up for your teammates if you have to. Uh, so I really like that answer from Daryl Sutter. You know, it's playoff hockey. It is just different. Uh, but speaking about the penalties, there were 60 combined uh, penalty minutes assessed uh, out to both sides. So 30 for each team, which is crazy. You know, that's just a very penalty-induced game. Uh, so I expect this series to not change course. I expect it to be like this the whole way. It's going to be chippy, physical, a lot of penalties, uh, and special teams are going to be proving a big, big-time role. You know, which power plays can cash in 
Calgary did win one for five last night. Dallas went 0 for five. And really, at the end of the day, that was the difference maker. Well, we're going to step aside here one more time in the first hour when we come back. More Stanley Cup playoff talk ahead. And welcome back to the Wednesday lineup, everybody, here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. I'm your host, Jack Heim, and we are going to wrap up our discussion about Stanley Cup playoffs before we go into a little bit of college football talk and maybe even some NBA playoffs here to finish out the first hour of today's show. Uh, so talking about the Flames and the Stars quickly wrapping up, and there were a lot of penalty minutes in Game 1, 60 combined dished out like I mentioned. So special teams are going to be playing a big role, penalty kills, power plays, who can convert, who can't. You know, it's all a matter of execution on the special teams. At the end of the day, I think what's going to be the difference but the Flames got off to a good start, getting a one nothing win and really stifling the Stars' offense with just 16 shots on goal throughout the entire game. So, again, great defensive performance. I think this Flames team, again, could be a front-runner to come out of the West. Uh, them and Colorado, I think, are the two strongest teams in the conference. But, I mentioned, again, I mentioned St. Louis earlier. The way their roster is constructed, they could really give both of those teams a little bit of the a little bit of a run for their money and make a good series out of it. And heck, maybe even win. Uh, so we're gonna have to see. Gonna be interesting, uh, you know, playoffs for hockey. But you know, good to just talk about some first round matchups and look a little bit at the road ahead. So we're gonna shift our focus now a little bit of college football. And I'm a big college football fan, but I haven't really talked about it too much. You know, we're in a little bit of the off season right now. The transfer portal's in full swing. You know, NIL is becoming a little bit even big more big of a factor. Uh, and now we gotta talk about a player in who's officially entered the portal. Uh Addison, the wide receiver from Pitt, I believe Jordan is his first name. Uh, Jordan Addison for Pitt. He was the Bolitnikoff Award winner last year for the Pitt Panthers. And yes, Jordan Addison will be entering the transfer portal. And, you know, some of the big favorites for him, Alabama, USC. You know, with Lincoln Riley going there. But that's not the big point I want to talk about. You know, the NIL is becoming even more of a factor now more than ever. And I think it's a thing that's going to be making the rich richer on in terms of budget programs. You know, the Alabamas of the world, USC has a lot of funding. You know, Texas has a lot of funding. You know, Miami's getting more from their health fund down there. They're putting a little bit more of it into football. So, I, the, you know, the bigger schools with the bigger budgets are only going to get more plentiful from the NIL being this much of a factor. Again, I'm not saying I don't support the NIL. I think it's a good thing that players are getting paid for the name, image, and likeness. I think that's a thing that should be in place, and it's a good thing that it is. But you have to have some, you know, procedures and some, you know, ramifications, you know, to make it an even playing field. You know, of course, you know, some schools are going to have an advantage over others just because of budgets and stuff like that. But you can't have it be a situation where, Players from smaller schools are just going to enter their transfer portal because they can go get more money uh, and play at a bigger school. You know, again, everyone talks about, you know, making it fair. Well, sports isn't fair, yes, but it also, you have to find a way to balance things out and keep it to a point where players aren't just, you know, going to get the bag at a big university because you you just didn't have the have enough money to pay them even though they like being at your school. So, you know, I just don't want to be, I just don't want to see this college football go down this road where, you know, only a select few teams again every year are just going to get the best players just because of NIL. Not because of their talent. You know, again, you I respect the big programs for being good. The Alabamas, the Georgias of the world, they get the best players because they are elite programs that have sustained success for quite some time now. And that's respectable. And I can understand why players would want to continue to go there, the elite players, for those reasons. I just don't want to see it be, you know, all the elite players go to these schools for solely NIL purposes because they have bigger budgets than everyone else. So, that, you know, again... NIL, I think it's a good thing, but we got to have this discussion because it's getting. I think it's getting a little bit out of hand. Deion Sanders was talking about it the other day. He was saying, 
You know, I want my players to focus on the NFL, not the NIL, and I completely agree with that mentality. I think college is a great, you know, college players do deserve to get paid for their name, image, and likeness, but it's not solely a place where you should should just solely be wor- worrying about the money. You want to ultimately get to the next level of football, and that is the NFL, uh, and that's really what college football is meant for. It's meant to develop your game, get you ready for the NFL uh, as an elite player. So, and even even not elite players, you know, guys who just are, are good enough at their schools to make the NFL. So, overall, NIL, it's just it's a good thing, but you gotta have ways to you know keep this thing under wraps from spiraling out of control. Again, that you know that that's become a problem with multiple things. Now the transfer portals become way more of a factor over the recent years. Now NIL is coming into the picture. And there has not been a lot of, you know, restrictions put down on these things, you know, to keep the rich, rich schools, you know, that have a lot of elite talent as it is from getting even better and having even more of an advanced control over college football. You know, everyone talks about disparity, you know, the the gap and recruiting is a big part of that. Uh, you know, I've seen this takes before. Everyone's like, oh, well, the playoffs are the same every year because. You know, this and that and this and that and yada, yada, yada. They, they never talk about recruiting enough. Recruiting is one of the biggest parts of college football uh, and teams. You have to be able to turn a program around by recruiting well. You know, the big states like Texas, Florida, keeping those kids home at programs like Florida, Miami, and Florida State, and Texas, the Longhorns, uh, and even, you know, programs like TCU and Baylor trying to keep kids in ho- uh, you know in state is going to be huge uh, in getting more evenness. Uh, and an even playing field in college, even USC, California, keeping, you know, USC got Lincoln Riley, keeping those kids home. So the big three states, Texas, California, and Florida, you know, those programs need to improve to keep kids at home, to, uh, you know, keep kids at the home schools, you know, in state schools to bring more evenness to college football. I think that's the biggest thing to bring in even playing field. Transfer portal, NIL, out of the picture. Those things matter. Those things, you know, are obviously relevant in terms of trying to get players to, you know, quickly increase your, uh, Quickly improve your school's team, but again, recruiting is the name of the game as it is, and the transfer portal is a big part of that. You know that's what a lot of these programs who are trying to rebound do. They hit the portal hard. USC's done it. They've landed 15 transfer kids, and they have the number one transfer class. Uh, so Lincoln Riley's clearly making a difference right away, trying to attack the portal, get guys who want to clearly be at USC, change the culture there uh, that has been a problem for quite some time now. Uh, but you know, transfer portal, I think there's got to be some restrictions on it. You know you got to you know you got to make some rules in place. NIL you got to put things in place uh, to limit the out of control that it's going to get. You know Addison's rumored to get paid three million dollars uh, before he even entered the portal. You know there there were offers to him before he even put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. I'm pretty sure that is tampering. Uh, so again, there's got to be a way to control these type of things. You can't just say hey I'm going to offer you this amount of money if you enter the transfer portal. That should most certainly not be allowed. The player should only be allowed to enter the transfer portal if they are willingly saying, I do not want to be at your school next year. I want to go find a better opportunity somewhere else. Then you can pitch that offer. But before they enter it, you should not be allowed to do that. And there should be ramifications for coaches like Lincoln Riley and others who are involved in that. Because that that is just absolutely absurd. You're just enticing a player to leave a school solely because you could pay him a boatload of money. Again, it's becoming like free agency in college football. I don't like the direction this is going. Again, I want to say I'm a supporter of the name, image, and likeness thing, but you can't let it spiral out of control because it's going to be bad for the game of college football as a whole if this thing continues to spiral the way it's going right now. There needs to be some, you know, some rules and actions put in place by the NCAA to ensure that this thing doesn't get crazy uh, and end up, you know, turning the sport of college football into something that I uh, just 
know, making the sport become worse. I just want to see the sport be as best as it can. And I think if this thing spirals out of control, it's going to be really bad for the game of college football, you know, over the next several years. We're going to get a quick message from the KUR Notebook here. Attention KU community. KUR podcast a good sampling of our programming regularly on multiple different platforms. Some of our best talk programming can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Simply open your Spotify or Apple Podcast and search for Kutztown University Radio and listen to the many great podcasts featured. Some of our older podcasted programming is still available on YouTube. Search for Kutztown University Radio to find them. Finally, some of our best music-based programming is podcasted on Mixcloud. Go to our Mixcloud page at www.mixcloud.com slash radio to listen on demand. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Welcome back to the Wednesday Wind Up, everybody. I'm your host, Jack Heim, as we wind down on the first hour of today's show, getting back into the college football discussion, the transfer portal, the NIL, and how much of a factor it is now becoming in the game. There's a lot of adjustments to be made by coaching staffs, uh, you know, athletic departments all across the United States uh, in terms of college football gearing towards it, how much money you're going to be investing in terms of that in the Division I scale. But, you know, this just goes for everywhere, too. Uh, you know, NILs, of course, and thing across all levels of the NCAA. But for college football in Division One, you have to adjust your budget budgets accordingly, see how, how much money you can bring in to be able to adequately, you know, have enough uh, for these players who seemingly want big NIL deals. So it's it's an interesting time. The future of college football is in some very interesting ways. You know, the you know what, what what's going on with the portal. The NIL, I talked about that already with specifically Jordan Addison, the pit wide receiver, the reigning Bolitnikov winner as uh, the best wide receiver in the country uh, based off his last season's production. I know just seeing what's going on with him, some of the best suitors for him, Texas, Georgia, USC, Alabama, uh, and many others are throwing their hat in the ring there to try to land you know, that, that, that star talent from Pitt. And he was really good because of Kenny Pickett, the first-round pick uh, by the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to get through a draft recap a little bit in the second hour. Uh, my co-host Mitch Smedley asked me to save the NFL draft uh, for the second hour so we could talk about that and MLB together. So we have a lot to look forward to the second hour with that. Uh, but for NIL terms in college football and, and in the transfer portal, things are going crazy. You know, kids are going all over the country. You know, specifically, I saw an example on college basketball. Teddy Allen is uh, the New Mexico State guard who was big in having them go to the second round last year, uh, and they upset UConn in the first round. He's entering the portal, I believe, for the sixth time now. I uh, was with. I forget all the schools he was with, but he went all over the place. He's now entering again. So, again, it's just crazy how much the transfer portal is so active on how, how much of a role it's playing in college sports, not just football, college basketball, just everywhere. But it is what it is. That's you know This is what the times are, and this is the direction the sport is going. But I do think there needs to be some crackdowns on it and restrictions made uh, to – limit the amount I see like I don't even know like what exactly you do like it's such a precarious situation you know you can't really just make full decisions say hey you can only get so and so amount of players you can't do that it's just a weird time it's an interesting time you know you can't fully just let it go on as it's going because it is the transfer portal is going crazy but again the the steps you take to trying to fix some of these issues I don't even know where to start so it's a, it's a crazy situation uh, but college sports, you know, uh, you know, with the transfer portal NIL, a very, a very interesting time. But we're going to move on here to round out the first hour with the NBA playoffs. Talked about NHL playoffs a little bit earlier, but the NBA playoffs are also in full swing as the second round is 
underway. The Miami Heat have a 1-0 series lead over the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, I believe, is not playing, uh, so uh, that's a big loss for Philadelphia. Again, I'm not the biggest NBA fan, but I keep tabs on it a little bit, see what's going on, see some posts on social media. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's interesting to look at. The Heat are the one seed in the East, and they have a 1-0 series lead over the Sixers. So, you know, Game 2 coming up, I believe, is tonight. Uh, so, But James Harden, I think, needs to be playing a little bit better. You know, I'm not asking, I'm not saying he needs to go back to what he was in Houston. That's just not the kind of player he is anymore. Uh, but for Harden, I think he's definitely going to need to be a bigger presence, be that be a little bit more that, you know, facilitator type in this time of where Embiid's not playing, you need to be able to facilitate everyone, get everyone involved. It's not going to be this, you know, James Harden show where he completely takes over the game scoring-wise. He needs to be able to get the whole team involved, play a full team game here if they want to take game two on the road to Miami. Uh, and overall, want to come back and just try to, you know, stun the Heat and go to the conference finals. Uh, but, you know, again, for Philadelphia, Embiid not playing, of course, that's a big-time absence. Uh, but the Heat, I think, certainly have the upper hand in this series. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero... Bam out of bio. Just the Heat are rolling. They're the one seed for a reason. Uh, and you got to go with them. So, you know, they're up 1 0. I think it's looking good for the Heat, though, in terms of, you know, where they sit right now and trying to move on, uh, is what I'm trying to say here. But the second E series, Milwaukee and Boston, I think this is the best series of the second round. These two teams are so evenly matched. I could see this going to seven. You know, the thrilling defense that Boston plays, they're the best defensive team in the league uh, versus Giannis and the Bucks. You know, Drew Holiday's got to really step up and fill that role. I believe Chris Middleton's not active right now for Milwaukee. So Drew Holiday's going to really have to be that number two man and do some of the things that Middleton did uh, when he was healthy. And I think if those all three of those guys were healthy, it would be a different Bucks, you know, story right now. But for a team that's trying to go back-to-back, and they could beat Boston. You know, don't get me wrong. Both of these teams, very strong. I think the winner of the series is going to come out of the East. You know, no, no slouch to Miami or Philadelphia, but these two teams are just constructed so well uh and, and the bucks are the reigning champs for a reason bringing back most of the same roster you can't count out Giannis uh but Jason Tatum Jalen Brown Marcus Smart and you know company you know the list goes on for Boston you know they're they're just a they're a well-coached team they know how to play the game defense is the name of the game as much as offense has taken over the shift and focus of basketball defense does indeed win championships so when you have star players that can you know, fire on all cylinders in the offensive end, but can also play elite defense. That is a dangerous formula and a recipe for success. So I think if there's any team to knock out the Bucks in the East, I think it is the Celtics here in the second round. But it's going to be a very fun series to watch. I think this look at the distance. It's going to go to seven in my mind. We're going to shift now to the West with the one seed Phoenix Suns. They have a 1-0 series lead over Dallas. And look, Dallas is able to eliminate Utah in six games in the first round, but I don't think it's going to be much of a series in the second. You know, I like the Suns. Just whether you're able to do Monty Williams, the head coach there, he's doing a great job. Uh, Chris Paul is so experienced. Uh, and just, you know, the way this team is built up. Booker, star. Chris Paul, you know, he's older but now, but he's still a star player. He's still very, very good. They have good pieces around him. McCall Bridges, uh, the list goes on. Uh, you know, DeAndre Eaton. You know, this team is just, they're loaded. They, they know their roles. Everyone plays to a certain level uh, that fits what they are meant to do. Well coached. What's not to like about the Suns? I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. We could be in store for a rematch of last year. Phoenix and Milwaukee is most certainly an option to happen again in the finals. It's it's I wouldn't say inevitable because I I really do like Boston, but if these two teams get by their current series, and I think Phoenix, again, I mentioned I like Phoenix to get over Dallas relatively easily in five games, maybe six if Dallas can get 
Dallas can get to. I'm not sure they will. But I like Phoenix to get coast by easier than Milwaukee to coast by Boston. But I think if both of these teams win their respective series in the second round, we are very well uh, you know, on the way to a rematch of last year's finals. Uh, and I think it will happen if both these teams do get by. I'm just that confident. I think both of these teams are very, very strong. And you know, I just like what they got. But not much time to spend on Phoenix and Dallas. I like the Suns. Final series here in the West, Memphis and Golden State. I think this is right along with the Bucks and the Celtics as the second most interesting series of the second round. Um, there, it's a 1-1 series. The Grizzlies lost game one on John Morant's missed layup, so they could very well be up 2-0 right now. That's not the case. It's 1-1 going to Golden State. Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Warriors. Great roster. And, of course, for the Grizzlies, John Morant is the top dog on this very young Grizzlies team. So, overall, I'm going to lean on the more experienced side with Golden State, but I could easily see both of these teams winning this series. We're going to step aside, though, when we come back for the second hour of the Wednesday windup. NFL draft and MLB talk ahead. Stick with us. We got a lot of a lot of exciting stuff going on on the second hour when my co-host Mitchell Smedley joins me. And welcome back to the Wednesday wine everybody here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. I'm your host Jack Heim. Now joined alongside my co-host Mitchell Smedley for the second hour of today's show. And I mentioned in the first hour we're going to be going to the NFL draft MLB. So we got that in store for you right now. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to go right into it. NFL draft. How you doing though, Mitch? I'm going to yeah, start off with that. Yeah, I'm doing pretty uh, well. Actually, really terrible. Oh. Um, I was going to say really, but I'm not. Um, my day is going really poorly. I'm sorry to hear Began that. Again yesterday with a 6-4 to four defeat at the hands of the, uh, I almost said New York, <laughs> at the hands of the Texas Rangers. The Texas and Rangers. Tom McCarthy sounded so sad, as am I. Well, that that's to my delight. As a Mets fan, I love Hush seeing the Phillies child. lose. But, uh, you know, oh, the D-backs are up 6-3 in the Marlins, just checking around the score. Ooh. So they're trying to go for the sweep today of the How Fish. How are the Mets doing? But we'll go into that later. It's scoreless in the top of the sixth at City Field. Top you got a pitcher's duel Ooh, between the Braves duel. and the Mets. No hitter in order? No, Good. no. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. The Braves do only have one hit. The Mets the have three. Braves are... Terrible. Tyler McGill has nine strikeouts through five and two. So thirds. I know we said we were about to talk about the NFL. Draft, I was just about to say that we're talking but about MLB here's now. Here's the thing, dude. What was the number you gave me? Eleven and fifteen for Atlanta. Yeah, but as Josh Toot would say, it's only game twenty six. Yeah, it's only it's only game twenty six. Now they're playing game twenty seven. But yeah, yeah, only game twenty seven. We're, we're we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. No, no panicking. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no panicking. I think no I panicking did tell at you all. It was panic. You said uh, caution, panic, or doom, doom, doom. Dun and dun dun. I am on team panic. Uh, in the, I think I think it was a SpongeBob quote. It's like panic is not advised, although it is recommended. <laughs> Wrap your head around that. Wrap your head around that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. Yeah, we, I know. I know we said we're going to talk about MLB to start, but since I brought up the MLB scores, because I just glanced <laughs> down at it, we're going to go into it real quick. Uh, I mean, we could talk about Atlanta for the Braves, and then we can. Do you want to stick MLB or you know? We're, we're, um, let's stick MLB because the Yankees have as many wins on their win streak as the Braves have all season. As to the end, same as the Phillies. So. Uh, sorry to bring thanks that back for, to Thanks for thanks. Really appreciate that. Really putting that into perspective for <laughs> you, buddy. But uh, <laughs> no, without further ado, we're going to talk about the Atlanta Braves here. You know, they're sitting at eleven and fifteen, like you mentioned. They're playing a game today against the Mets that's scoreless in the top of the six. They have two out, nobody on. But it's you know we're looking at a team that okay, you could say World Series hangover maybe for the first month. Okay, but now we're getting into May. Things are start slow. 
slowly starting to get into focus. Wow, I can't talk right now. But I can't either. I had ice cream like 10 minutes ago. I am tongue-tied. Yeah, tongue-tied. Beautiful way to put that because that's where we feel right now. But if the Braves dropped today, they would have dropped three to the four, three out of the four to the Mets in City Field. They would fall to 11 and 16, and they have to go back home and play a very good Brewers team who sits at 16 and 8. So the schedule does not get any more favorable for Atlanta. You know, I did ask you this question over our Chick-fil-A lunch today. Caution, panic, or doom? I think we're both in the caution. Uh, not caution. No. Both in the panic no, boat I am panic- because the starting pitching has not been there outside of Kyle Wright this year. I edge toward caution, though. Yeah. I think the bats are going to heat. I up. think it's a slight panic. I think if we're in. You're just copying me. No, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, but. You're going to try and look like me. You're going to walk in in a Philly shirt tomorrow? No, you'll never catch me walking in in a Philly I shirt. Will. I no, will. you won't. Never. Yeah. Never. I'll make a bet with you and you'll accept it. And no, I won't. We'll have some sort of deal. No, I won't. Um, so, anyway. Um, no, no panic, no panic at all, and no panic at all in terms of me wearing a Philly shirt. But uh, the Braves, the Braves, though. though. I, yes. Look, I would love to see that. I this would be like the highlight of my decade, seeing them start so poorly. If it were not for that ugly team that shall not be named to the North, that is just like I, I don't like. I keep coming in here week after. It's gonna change. It's gonna change. It's all gonna even out. It's it's gonna be okay. They look like a 110-win team right now. What is going on? What is going on? Well, I know you're referencing the New York Mets. Oh, you don't know that. And I absolutely do. They're 18-8, and trying to go to 19-8 and if they can win today. But, yes, the Mets are coming out of the, you know, out of the gates very strong, and they've, you know, they've been known to do this a little bit, start off strong in April, but by the time June rolls around, they have a rough month, and things slowly collapse from there. But I, the team, I mentioned it on the show before, the team just looks a little bit different this year. You know, the guys in charge, Buck Showalter, has them more prepared than ever. Buck Showalter got suspended. He did get suspended for a game. He because he threw Lopez, at Kyle Schwarber. Because, yes, Yohan Lopez did Two throw at Schwarber. Max Scherzer. Again, didn't hit him. They didn't hit Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, but they threw at him and then they hit Boehm. But Well, that, well the Boehm one wasn't intentional. Boys. Oh, sure. It was a 1-2 count in the ninth uh, inning. Why would, the, why would that be an intentional hit a point? Because it's Phillies Mets. Yeah, but... You know, Bone clearly wasn't happy about getting hit. You know, he yeah. spiked the bat a little bit. So good. Uh, but no one will have a better bat spike than than uh, Kyle Schwarber a week and a half ago. Yeah, uh, that that was a solid bat slam to the ground before he freaked out on Angel Hernandez, rightfully so. But that is, a, I learned about that. So I was questioning last week why he's not out on his. You know what? Uh, it's because he's in a union. Apparently, I don't know all the details, but the word union was thrown around quite often in my Google search. Ah, so I'm obviously an expert on the topic now. Yes, of course. I literally One searched. Search. I literally searched. Why is Angel Hernandez not fired? And <laughs> I got results, like a lot of them. So, you know, clearly I'm not a common the, search among I'm baseball not, fans. I'm not the only one. Yeah, most certainly not the only one. Uh, but yes, Angel Hernandez is quite horrid. But yes, for the Braves, you know, I'm in a slight panic boat right now. You know, the Me starting too. pitching. It's not looking good. The lineup's a little bit slow start. You know, you got Olsen, you know, who's good, but Acuna's slowly working his way back. Adam Duvall hasn't looked great to start the year. Riley's been inconsistent. So a lot of these guys who were main contributors on last year's World Series team are not off to the best of starts, and it's really reflecting on their records. So Yeah, I caught a few innings of that Monday night game. Uh, my roommate and I, we had three sports going. I had NHL on the TV, NBA on, uh, he was watching, and then I had the MLB on my phone watching Mets Braves. And Adam Duvall came up, and I think there was a runner on second, or it was it was some pivotal situation. And the announcers were just like, oh, Adam Duvall, he could really hurt you. He sucks. 
Yeah, he's, he's and been if terrible. I'm not mistaken, he struck out or popped out. Something really harmless in that situation. But he's just not doing good this year. You can't be like, oh, he's so dangerous. Dude, like, whatever. He's so dangerous in the past, but so far he's batting sub 200. So yeah. Not dangerous at all. But we got to get a quick message from the KUR Notebook. Attention KU community. Want to join KUR but don't want to be on air? We have a spot for you. Contact us at KUR at cutstown.edu and express your interest, and we will find the perfect place for you at KUR. KUR is anything you want to make it. If you don't hear back within a few days, please stop by rooms 188 or 190 in the McFarland Student Union Building or call us at 610-683-4059 during normal business hours. Ask for Mike Regs or any of our e-board members or directors. We hope to see you soon. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Welcome back to the Wednesday one of everybody. I'm your host, Jack. I'm alongside my elated and wonderful co-host, Mitchell Smedley. Elated. I, I turn to my left and see that. Nice smile, so it just makes I my day a little bit better. I was literally staring out the window behind you. I know, but you did have a smile <laughs> on your face. So that's, I my, did, that's my bliss face. That's just, I, that's 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 just when, your when bliss face. When my mind goes numb. You know how, guys, we have this, like, nothing zone in our mind? Yeah, we just go into this, like, space of nothing where we just doze off, and it's, like, like just nothing in our head, and we're yeah, just, like, Yeah, it's not like I'm there. thinking about something pointless. It's just I'm not thinking about anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I, I heard the the, you know, Radio voice of good studio, and I'm like, oh, that stuff, dude. I love KUR. Let's go. Absolutely. And then uh, now I'm here again. So that was my little vacation. I yeah. Was, now now we're back. Uh, but uh, please tell me the Phillies are not 11 and 13. I wish that wasn't a dream. For your sake, I could tell you that, but that's the reality of the situation. Oh. You know, we'll we'll get to the Phillies now as we take our little final little wrap up around the NLEs. We talked about the Braves. Talk about the Mets. Of course, we got to do our weekly talk about the Phillies. They're 11 and 13. They dropped the first game last night to the Rangers, like you mentioned earlier, six to four. Uh, they got Zach Wheeler on the bump tonight, so that does yeah. fare in their favor, wasting uh, but, him for the Mets. But Martin Perez comes in at 0 and three, but he's got a three ERA on the year flat, so it's not like he's been pitching bad. Uh, you know, Mitch, what are the range? What are the not the Rangers? What do the Phillies have to do tonight to turn things around? I know outside of hitting well. Here, here's one key to the game, Jack. Here's here's a little nugget I came up with last night. Stop playing Roman Quinn. Stop playing Roman Quinn. He is a fan favorite, though. You know, I like him as a as a dude. He's fast. He's cool. For a rebuild, he cannot be a starting center fielder on a team that wants to go deep. Honestly, neither can Matt Veerlin. Okay, you're starting outfield, and I realize Bryce has the injury and stuff, and I realize Castellanos' wife went into labor last night. Congratulations to them. Your starting outfield needs to consistently be a combination of Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber, and Herrera. Odubel Herrera needs to be an everyday player. He's hitting the ball way too good to, to not be in the starting line. He had allergies last night. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm sorry if you picked up my laughing on the mic. That yeah. is hilarious. Sitting out a game for allergies. Allergies. Just take some allergy medication and boom. Just go 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 play in the game. Jack, how many allergy medicine commercials do you see on TV? Yeah. I don't know if we can mention them by name, but there's the one I take. Yeah, I take I take medication for my pollen allergies. You know, it's just if you're having just normal seasonal allergies, just take some medicine and go out there and play. It's I'm, I'm not sorry. even that difficult. Like, if, if you're you have dealing a runny with the, nose, yeah, if you're dealing with the sniffles, you can go out there and play a game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, come on, 
this is this is outrageous. I mean, what have we come to? Oh, <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Matt Veerling and Roman Quinn should not be in a game one on one together. That was just, dude. That was two automatic outs. The fact that the you, hey, Veerling had two hits last oh, night. Oh, I know, but they were pointless. It's a minus. They were. Thing. He did it a double though. It's a uh, but we do have to talk about last night's game. The Phillies' lack no, of uh, cashing in and runners in scoring position. Do we had three runs in the first inning? I was like, this is it. We are living large today, Jack. They were. You know, they were firing. I'm like, oh great, here comes the Phillies on side. They're going to score 11 runs and run away with That's this game. What I thought. They just didn't do it though. They had their chances, especially in the bottom of the seventh. They had second and third, nobody out. They got hits out of Roman Quinn and Matt Veerling. That's insane. Uh, and the top of the order could not get them in. Schwarber couldn't get them in. Uh, who bats? Who batted second last night? Boom! It was Boom! Boom! Why is get him okay, in? Okay. <laughs> Alec Boom should not be batting second. I mean, he's been hitting well. Though. No, fifth is where he should go. Second is not Alec Boom. Yes, but you have to look at the way that lineup was constructed last night with Veerling and with Veerling and Quinn at the eight nine spot. You have to bat him towards the top of the order. I would put Hoskins there. Yeah, but Bohm's been proving he's been able to get on base consistently. You have a table setter. You know, if Schwarber doesn't get the job, then you get Bohm on, sets the table for the middle of the order and the Harpers. Yeah, because uh, that middle of the order is so fierce right now. Yeah, I know. But Harper, Real Muto. Not and, right and now, Hoskins but it's really mopped up last night. Yeah, I, obviously not right now. They've not been producing, but even our two over run the course double of our 162. That, um, well, who was it? Hoskins had the two run double, I think, in yeah. the first. Yep. Even that was because of a misplay by uh, Nick Solak. Nick in left Solak. Field. I couldn't think of his name. That, we. we and that led to the two, and then the one came after that. We should have been, and the, we should have had one run last night. Yeah, what, against the Rangers. What are we doing? Yeah, that, that that is not good. But he was out after what was their starting pitcher last night? I think he three? left three, three and two thirds. Maybe I thought it was just a three flat. Yeah, let me check. I do have my the scores pulled up from last night. Like that uh, was a bullpen game. Yes, only three innings. Oh, Mitchie was right. There you go, Mitch. There we go on the ball. On the ball. I wish the Phillies could hit it. <laughs> Ah, it's so frustrating. It's really all I have to say about it. It's just frustrating. I don't understand. It is very frustrating as I hear you hitting the table over yeah. there a little bit. So Let's move on. It's, understand. it's understandable, you how know, whether frustration is being shown. But yes, how about the Yankees? That's a great bridge point. You're Yankees welcome. are firing on all cylinders right now. They've won their last 11 in a row. Uh, playing like the best team in baseball. Their roster is very well constructed this year. They did a good job of, you know, getting rid of a lot of the liability players and the Gary Sanchez's of the world. You know, Gio Rochella wasn't bad, but he's not... What Josh Donaldson is. Donaldson's better. You know, IKF, uh, Kiner Falefa, he's come in and he's filled a role. You know, they got a lot of guys who just know how to play their role. They know what they need to do. Rizzo's having a really good year. Judge is looking like he's back to that 2017 form thus far. He's been playing very, very well. Stanton's doing well. A lot. Glaber Torres seems to be back. Uh, the bat is looking really good. So this lineup's producing, uh, but the pitching, I think, is the X factor. You know, every day they've been getting reliable pitching. Yeah. Jamison Tyon's pitched well. Nasty Nestor's been pitching well. Uh, you know, Jordan Montgomery's been solid. Severino's looked back. Cole hasn't looked the greatest start of the year, but he's looked better in his last couple of starts. The Yankees are getting reliable pitching all across the land in their starting rotation. And, of course, their bullpen's one of the best in baseball. So right now this team is firing on the best, uh, you know, best way they can. Uh, everything's just everything is just producing for this team right now. Remember when we said there were a bunch of teams that like, yeah, the offense is good, but can the pitching get there? The Yankees were one, the Phillies were one. I think did we say the Angels were one? I can't remember who else we put in that category. But there were a bunch of teams that we said like, I, I felt like kind of repetitive when we were going through the outlook at the beginning of the season. Like, if the pitching can get them there, you know, the offense is going to take care of it. The Yankees are the team that the pitching's working, and you're seeing the results of that. Whereas a team like the Phillies, when Zach Eflin can't pitch ever, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, 
Again, the Yankees, they've done a good job. You know, for all those Brian Cashman slanderers out there, it's not been working so far. The Yankees have the best record in baseball. Uh, and even I doubted the Yankees a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I have been put to, you know, been put in the wrong category in this market. I knew the Yankees were going to be good. Yeah, I, I didn't think, think they were going to be this good. they were going to be good, but I think we had them in third place in that division. Behind the Jays and Rays. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, what we, about the we've, A's? We've been looking I wrong. I think I said that. What about the A's? Uh, but, yeah, Yankees have been good, you know, and their fans are going crazy right now. Yes, they should. Uh, and I'm getting ready to throw a fit. but uh, the <gasps> Please Mets, tell me. Because the Mets are down 4 nothing to Atlanta. 4 in nothing sixth, In the sixth inning. How so. su- it was two outs, nobody on. Uh, well, the, the app was wrong. It was one out, man on first. Then I got two more heads off McGill before Adovino came in, and the Braves have uh, said no more tie game, 4 nothing. So. How so? Was it a grand salami? We're going to move on. Was uh, it a salami? Well, bases loaded, walk, two-run double, and oh. a wild pitch. So Wow. Very, that is very a tough. Collapse. Yeah. So thanks, two thanks outs McGill. Yet? McGill went five innings, sixth inning, collapse, and then slash. Dude, McGill finally fell apart? Well, he didn't fall apart, but he left the bases loaded before Ottavino came to the bullpen, came out of the bullpen and uh, pitching in his third consecutive day. Not not sure why that decision was made, but uh, he got it done the first two days against the Braves. When you see a bullpen guy for a third time, you're more than likely going to get to him, and they did get to Ottavino today. So, unfortunately, that game the is not over, though. It's not over yet. It's 4 nothing only at the top of the sixth, but not looking good for New York. That is that is a much-needed loss for the for the Phillies there because we gained a half game on y'all in, on Monday. When you lost. Yes. Lost a game and a half yesterday because win-win-loss. Mets-Mets-Phillies. Oh, man. Now we need you to... Oh, my God. That is brutal. Yeah, the Phillies need the Mets to lose this one. And but then we uh, need to win... Like, we, we can't split the series. We need to win the series this weekend, which is not going to happen. It's a four-game set in Philly. Anything can happen, but uh, the Mets do have... I believe Scherzer, Bassett, Carrasco, and Tyon Walker. I can't in the stand Bassett. So. Why is he good? Why I, I, I you know he's just a good pitcher, but you know we got to step aside for a first break. We're gonna come Ugh. back more analyst discussion, and NFL. we got to talk about the Minnesota Twins and Ooh. the NFL ahead. So stick with us for a lot of exciting stuff for the rest of the show. And welcome back to the Wednesday Windup, everybody here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. I'm just your host Jack Hines, alongside my wonderful co-host Mitchell Smedley. I know I say that every time, but I have to say that every time. No, you don't. Your co-host sucks. <laughs> Well, wow, the Braves now made it 5 nothing, so I do want to go yeah. cry, but uh, we're not oh, going to stick no, up. Oh, Mr. 19 and 8. Oh, shush. 18. It was going to be 19 until you guys screwed it up. Well, it was a scoreless game, so there's no guarantees. But, yes, uh, it could have been 19. Do, yeah, if you're crying, I'm sorry, what, what are you going to be, 18 and 9? Nine? nine games over 500? Get out of my studio. This is my show now. <laughs> I'm not having a host that cries when he's nine games over 500. No, nah, I'm just messing around. It's going to be a tough one, though. After you know, but it is? It's a split with the Braves. Splitting I a series with the Braves, that's a tough one? I was hoping to take three out of four. I really was. I know you were. After yesterday's two wins. But we're not going to stick up on this too long. we got to go to uh, other topics here. Uh, quickly, to round out our baseball discussion, got to go to the AL Central. Uh, are the Twins, Twins legit, Mitch? Are yes. the Twins legit? Because they have so. been scorching hot. You know, They haven't been Yankees hot, but they've been pretty darn good. Winning nine of their last ten, four in a row. They're fifteen and nine. They have a four-game seri- uh, division, not series, four-game division lead over the Guardians and a four and a half-game division lead over the White Sox. Uh, is this the Twins now division? Is this the Twins division to win because of the White Sox early season struggles, or do you think the White Sox are going to bounce back? I think the, the White Sox on? are going to bounce back, but I think those two things are true. It's it's the White Sox are going to bounce back, but it's also the Twins division to win because you have the lead now. 
Now you just got to battle. You got to be a baseball team and down this, you know, over the summer. We're still so far away. Yeah, exactly. But over the summer and then down the stretch, it's it's going to be, you know, at least they're starting out in front. So they can go win this thing. Absolutely. I think it's going to all rely on the pitching. I think this lineup's going to be fine. Buxton, Correa, you know, this lineup's going to produce runs. Yeah, this is another one. we. I remember I was talking about that list of teams we had earlier. This was another one. It's like they have the good lineup, Correa and all the others, but... You know, it's the pitching. Is the pitching going to be there for the Twins? And so far, yeah. So far it has. Joe Ryan's been really good for, uh, frontlining this rotation. Sonny Gray's been on the IL. Also, they've done a really good job to piece this thing together in the rotation, uh, you know, to this point of the season. But again, 162 is a long slate. Uh, you know, there's many, 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 many more games to be played. Uh, so you got to do it over the course of a full 162 to make the playoffs. Uh, and that's why making the MLB playoffs is one of the hardest things to do in sports, in my mind, because the season is so long. Uh, and it spans over the course of many months. you got to rely on many players to get you there. But so far, the Twins are off to a really good start, 15-9 through 24 games. They will be playing their 25th tonight against the Orioles, 7.05 start time. Uh, so they will have to get their 16th win against your AL World Series hopeful. <laughs> I can't believe we're still going with this. I love it. Uh, it's just a joke. I think it's just very I, funny I, to go What if with. they win? What if they win? What if? What if? What if the Orioles win, Mitch? I don't know, man. I would almost consider that better than a Phillies win. Really? At this point. Wow. It's more likely that the Orioles make me happy than it is the Phillies. <laughs> oh, man. Come on, Bryce Hopper. Yeah, Bryce Hopper. You got to hit the ball, Hopper. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to do it for our MLB discussion today. Ooh. You know, a little bit of stuff going around the league. Uh, but just want to give some of the biggest headlines updates. NL East always a fun division to monitor. Uh, NL West is still a dogfight, but yeah. we're going to continue to talk about that, you know, as the weeks go on. You know, we've kind of been repetitive about that headline a little bit so I don't want to be the same topics every week I just thought it was interesting to talk about Minnesota because they've kind of sprung onto the scene they've been hot uh, and of course you know we mentioned the Angels already they're leading the AL West I think it's I think I saw a stat for the first time ever through April the Angels Dodgers Mets and the Yankees all lead their respective divisions so uh you know the two mega cities you know in the United that, States yeah, Los Angeles I didn't even and New York think about that I saw the thing with New York but I didn't even think about Angels Dodgers so I think that's pretty interesting Man. the big markets doing pretty well early in the year it's about time we'll see if it sticks yeah facts the Mets and the Angels really have been struggling uh but they've been off to rampant starts uh, so let's see if it can continue for uh the latter two the Angels and the Mets uh, no worry the about the Dodgers one. and the Yankees but um that yeah that's pretty much all about that I just thought it was an interesting stat to that throw is out an there. interesting stat Good job, Jack. Thank Everyone, give much. Jack a round of applause. You give me a uh, theoretical and round of applause. Hit the phones. Tell Jack how hit, proud you are. Hit the, <laughs> hit the phones. Say, Jack, I'm so proud of you for knowing that obscure stat that I was told about uh, from my brother. <laughs> Yo, credit so, to Jack's brother. Credit to my brother for that one. Lil Heim. It was on Twitter. I assume it's your little brother. I don't no, know if older. Bro- oh, okay. It my assumption was incorrect. Assumption was incorrect. Ah. Oh. Man, I feel stupid now. No, it's okay. Don't worry. Let's about get it. to yeah, the NFL. It was a coin draft. flip. It was a coin flip, Mitch. Yeah. It was. I went for it. I went for it. You did go for it. You did. And like Harper, like every at bat, I struck out <laughs> completely. <laughs> Swing and a miss. He got it with a curveball. And a high fastball gets Harper. And he strikes out again. But uh, we're going to now shift our focus to NFL draft talk because there was so Ooh, much going on with that. Buddy. Your favorite team knocked it out of the park. Buddy. And I think so did mine. But, uh, but I think the Eagles did, did a little bit better because of the trades they made. The just, picks a they did. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. But Just a little bit. We got to talk about the draft there, you know, what what the future holds for a lot of these teams. You know, we're going to go through a little bit of winners, losers. I don't know if you have any uh, made out in your head, Mitch, but I think we're just going to go through a little bit of a list. Well, I didn't make up a yeah. personal list, but just, you know, going off the cuff, 
you know, I think we have some clear-cut teams that won and lost uh, the NFL draft. You know, we're going to start off with our winners, and I think there's a couple of teams that are in this category. Of course, the Eagles. Yeah. I think the Jets. A G L E. No. Okay. S Eagles. I will not be joining you. You got to join me. Disgusting Come on. But, uh, fly Eagles. Fly. No. No. Cause AJ Brown is here. Well, that's that. That is true. But AJ Brown is here, and he's with Devonte Smith. Throw it left. Throw it right. They can't collapse again, right? <laughs> I mean, they could. They could collapse. But uh, oh my God, can the Mets get it out? Ooh! What's the score now? Holy Toledo is 7 nothing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. This game's over. Done. Put, it, put it in the back burner. It's about time. Put it in the back burner. This game's over. Ah, oh, man. Frustration. But anyway, back to NFL draft. Uh, we talked about the winners. Eagles are certainly in that category. The yep. Jets. Oh, I was, that was my next one. The Jets got to be there. Jets. They knocked it out of the park in the first round. How about that? Just, they got was it, Garrett Wilson. Yeah, three first rounds. They got three? Sauce Gardner with the fourth pick, Garrett Wilson with the 10th, and they got Jermaine Johnson with the 26th. They traded back into the first round yep. with Tennessee and they had took another one that was the defensive end from Florida State. And yes, they had the 36th pick. They traded with the Giants on the second round mm-hmm. where I forget. Who did they? I don't know who they I took. knew it and I just forgot I it. I am blanking. So we're going to take a quick look at this. This is the worst show ever. Oh, yes, it is. So dysfunctional. So dysfunctional. We both just forgot the Jets pick. Yeah, we both just did. Uh, but, you know, speaking about those first, uh, you know, those three first rounders before we get. Uh, to their second round pick, yeah, it's just the Jets did actually a good job. You know, actually, <laughs> that is the shock of the the, 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 the Jets actually did it right. <laughs> I mean, that is a that miracle be in enough and of to itself. be like I should have watched. That is a headline if I've ever seen one. Yes, it is. Jets, yes, it good is. job though. Defense gonna get stronger. I, these guys are gonna be playing big roles because it's the Jets. You don't have anyone else. These guys are really gonna be growing right in front of our eyes. And I'm excited. I'm excited because they're not in my division, and they're going to be hitting the Patriots hard. So I'm all in. Brees Hall was that second-round pick. Brees he was a running Hall. back from Ohio, from Ohio. I'm at Iowa State, uh, the Cyclones. So they did get an Ohio State receiver and an Ohio State tight end. Uh, but Garrett Wilson, interesting tidbit. Garrett Wilson went to high school with Mets third-base prospect Brett Beatty, who is the second- or third-ranked prospect in the Mets organization. So that is an interesting little tidbit I saw uh, the other day. But Garrett Wilson's certainly a very good wide receiver talent. He could have been the you know, the first wide receiver off the board in this draft. That's not the way it unfolded. Uh, could have gone either way. It could have. Very Any well could have. Falcons ways. took Drake London. Uh, but that's just how the, the cookie crumbled. Yeah, how about the, the Falcons? What do you think of them? Uh, that's an interesting team, isn't it? It is. They got Mariota, quarterback. They got now two big receivers in Kyle Pitts, who's a tight end, could essentially qualify <laughs> as a receiver, wide receiver. Yeah. And you got Drake London. Those are two big targets that Marcus Mariota has to throw to. They still got um Offensive line's Davis? not good. Or, no, it's uh, Patterson now. Yes, Cor- yeah, Cordero Patterson, who's solid. Uh, but again, the Falcons, man, it's just... They're not going to be good next year. I don't think they're going to be good. The offense will be improved. Good, but they're going to... Do they improve enough to, like, that division? Do they get the eighth pick again? I think they'll be a little bit better than that. Yeah, I I would have to agree because you're in the division with the Saints and Panthers, which I love the Panthers. Second favorite really? team. I think oh, I yeah, told yeah. you. You see oh, me yeah. in a Panthers hat, yeah. like, every no, no, day. No, 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 no. I knew they were your second favorite team, but I just didn't I didn't know if you meant in terms, I love the Panthers in terms of their roster outlook over oh, the next year or oh, like oh. them as, like, a team. No, I, I just love them, but I think the Falcons, uh, if I had to pick one right now, it would be the Panthers, but I, I got to see how... Our quarterback situation unfolds. Yeah, that that's also true. You think Coral's uh, anything? He's not starting this year, I don't think. Not this year. I I think he's going to start 
He's too raw. November. He's too much of a raw prospect to start. I think, I think in November you'll see him start. And it's going to be a mistake, but you're going to see him start. Yeah, it's just a problem. That's what the are you going to do, Carolina. Sam Darnold? It, the, the quarterback room is just an abomination right now. It is just it's it's in shambles. I want Baker Mayfield. There's no other way to go around it. Like the Carolina Panthers quarterback room is a. It's just so it's bad. It's not good. It's a disgrace. Like it's no disrespect to the players in that room, but it's just like it, it's just not good. It is just blatantly not good. That is the fact of the matter. Yeah, which is it's uh, disheartening because McCaffrey's there. I saw an interesting list today. Dan Orlovsky put out a list. Top five NFC teams. Uh, it was one Rams, two Bucks. It's going at the top of the head. Three Saints, four Packers, five Eagles. Three Saints? Five Eagles? The Eagles yeah, are... Yeah, five We'll get to that, but three Saints? I know. That was at more outlandish. Can we hold up a second? Look, I, I, look I'm a big Jameis Winston fan because he went to Florida State, but the Saints are not the third what? best team in what? the NFC. What are we doing? I mean... They missed the... Oh, my God. They have a new head coach. Sean Payton is gone. I know. What about the Cardinals? <laughs> the Cardinals, yes, we do have to talk about uh, the Browns. The last name Browns, not, not oh, the team. Oh yeah, they got yeah they got Brown. Like the Cardinals they are did. better than the Eagles. The the Forty Niners. Where are the Forty Niners yeah, in that list? Those two teams that argue are both better than the Eagles, Saints, and maybe even the Packers. Yeah, I, th- there is an argument to be made for all of them. So uh, I thought that was a little bit of an outlandish that is list. Outrageous. So what about the Cowboys? That was interesting. As yeah, as I I look, as much as we don't like the Cowboys, as as they're I a decent them. team. I still think they're probably going to win the division. Because the Eagles aren't. Because yeah. we don't have anyone on an entire half of the field for a secondary. Outside of Darius Light. Yeah, that's what I say. He can take one person, but everyone else is just going to run away. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The NFC is a very interesting conference. It's, I mean, it's Rams. And then it's Rams. And a little bit more Rams. Like, because the Rams even, they had a tough division last year. But now the Seahawks are just a dumpster fire. The 49ers are going to lose Debo somewhere. Uh, Hopkins is out for six games. I get Brown came in, but honestly, there's just nothing stopping the Rams. Yeah, it certainly opened the pathway for the Rams to take the division again and maybe even the conference, maybe even another Maybe they're going to repeat. Maybe. Like... But it's I, crazy. when we get to the AFC side of things, yeah, there's uh, a lot that could. There's come out a of lot there. to unfold in yeah. the AFC because that's like a mega conference right there. All the quarterbacks there. Oh wow. my goodness! Isn't it just going to be fun to watch Bills, Bengals, Chiefs? That's those three alone. Add in the Chargers, like it's going to be so much fun between those three alone. And then you have the teams that are just always there, like the Patriots. Somehow they just always find a way in. I don't know, dude. I don't know about New England this year. I, I don't either. But I've said that the last five I years. I think New England was one of the biggest losers of the draft. Good. They they reached for a first round pick. Yeah, they took Cole Strange, a guy who the Rams were hoping in the fourth round. I don't know if you uh, listened to it, but Sean McVay's reaction. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> he was I thought like, he was going to be there. I thought he was going to be. On the, I thought he was going to be there on the fourth round for us. <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, we, we were talking to him in the fourth round. He goes on the board of the first. Uh, but yeah, wow. Uh, Patriots got to be one of the biggest losers of the draft. Did not really do much to upgrade the secondary. Reaching an offensive lineman in the first round. Did not like what Bill Belichick did. Uh, there, you know, Belichick has the, obviously the great reputation for winning so many Super Bowls, but this draft did not go well. Did yeah. not a- address a lot of the needs of New England. Strange is a very raw offensive lineman prospect. I don't think he's going to be able to make a good impact right away. Uh, I just don't like the way the, the Patriots handled this draft. I think the Jets had a significant draft. Maybe the Jets even leapfrog. It all depends on quarterback play. Mac Jones, I think, is better than Zach Wilson. Much better. But you have to look at the pieces around. Garrett Wilson's a good receiver. The Jets' receiver room, I think, is better than New England's. And as a team, I think right now, I think I like the Jets just a little bit more. Call me crazy. I probably will. I just think the Patriots always find a way they to do. be relevant. 
uh, excuse me, but uh, let's head a, a little further south. Another team that's interesting. A lot of people are calling them winners of the draft. Uh, I love the Hamilton pick. What do you think of the Ravens? The Ravens did win. I think that's a great call. I think they did a lot of good things to upgrade. Kyle Hamilton was a steal at the 14th pick. Yep. He's one of the one of, if not the best defensive player in the draft. So versatile. I mentioned him in my mock draft. You know, just the athleticism that he brings in the back end. He's not afraid to step up and make a big tackle. He can play the box. He can play in coverage. He's a very versatile defensive guy in the secondary. Very much so upgrades that Ravens back end and brings a lot more coverage to it. Uh, as they lost a couple of pieces, but he brings a lot of a. Uh, you know, security back there. They upgraded the offensive line a little bit. I like the moves that the Ravens made. Uh, the weird thing about it was it just is good. Hamilton is so good, and um, he, his coverage is so decent on the back end. And for some reason, the word is that the Eagles didn't have him rated as high. We we gave away a bunch of picks to leapfrog the Ra- the Ravens so that we could get uh, Jordan Davis. And I I don't know why. I mean. Who did we uh, who did we swap with? I can't even remember at this point. But let's say at thirteen, you know, it's like a, I think it was a receiver that ended up Houston. Going. Yeah, Houston. Who did they take? Houston took. Oh, come on, come on. Oh, offensive guard Kenyon Green from right. Texas A and M. So that's, that's kind of what they were looking for. So let's say they still take him at thirteen. Let's say the Ravens do get Jordan Davis, that three forty animal that is now a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, the Eagles could have had Hamilton, which. I think it's a great pick, but apparently the Eagles didn't have him as high, and they could have saved their picks and still had a fantastic player, but they wanted the next Fletcher Cox, which is fine. It's just the problem is you already have guys up there where I I get you can never have too many uh, defensive linemen, but you don't have anyone in the secondary. Yeah, um, I look, I think you could have went either way. I don't have a problem with taking Jordan Davis there because he needed a guy to clog up the interior of the the defensive line. Excuse me. You know, with Cox going on his way out, Fletcher's, you know, getting towards the end. He's old now. You got to get a guy who can step up and he's not going to be, I'm not saying he's going to be what Fletcher Cox Fletcher Cox was, but he is going to be good for a role. He's a good run stopper. He's a guy who can clog up the middle, allow the edge rushers to do what they need to do. Uh, but, you know, the only concern about Jordan Davis I have is he's going to be able to play three downs every series. Right. He's not. He's a two down guy. Yeah. And is that really warranted for the 13th overall pick? Oh, I, I don't think. And not to mention we gave up three picks to get him. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, I love our draft. We knocked it out of the park with pretty much every pick. I mean, even after the first round, we got uh, Jerkins. Is that his name? Cam Jerkins, yes. Yeah. And uh, we got Dean in the third round, which some thought he would be a first round. Like, we nailed it in the the draft. And then we got another linebacker. And a oh man, I can't. You got Daxton Hill, yeah, the safety slash corner from Michigan. Yeah, so that's someone to put back there. But you know, he was a late round pick. That's just what he is. I would have liked to see us go after someone higher up in the draft for that position. But we did. uh, We're just trying to replace the guys that are leaving. It seems like like uh, Cox and Kelsey. When we should have been going after um, something where we obviously already have a hole, rather than a, a hole in a year or two. Yeah, I think it's a good analysis, but I think uh, we got to talk about A.J. Brown. Oh, let's discuss. Let's discuss A.J. Here. Brown plus Devontae Smith equals, oh, yeah, minus Jalen Hurts equals, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about a minute before the break, so we're going to get into this a little bit and talk about this more on the flip side. But you did mention A.J. Brown plus Devontae Smith, and I think it's going to be really good tandem. A.J. Brown, of course, brings a lot of great things to the table. He's a big physical guy for standing only at six foot, and I make it like six foot short, but he's like 220 pounds, and he's a monster of a man. He's huge. He's just so brawny. He's built. 
uh, and he brings a lot of great things as a receiver. Um, but you know, again, talking about Jalen Hurts, you know, he's not—I don't think he's a bad quarterback. Yes, he but is. I think he's just at times where he just makes some. It's just not great reads, you know. I remember that game against the Giants last year. He threw three interceptions. He's a bad quarterback. It's like, where, where, where were you throwing that? Why would you make that decision? I think he's a, you know, something he's got to work on is making his second read. If the first read isn't there, Hurts kind of gets into a little bit of a panic situation. Looks a little bit of sure, looks a little bit unsure of himself of what to do back there, and then that's where things can fall apart. So, you know, I think Hurts is a good. Uh, gap stop quarterback for a couple years, but I think I don't know. If, I don't think he's the franchise guy. He's not even close to a franchise guy. He's not even Sam Bradford. Oh wow, that's rough. I am not a fan of Jalen Hurts. You're a Jalen Hurts hater. I dude, there's something about the Jalen's. Jalen Rager and Jalen oh, Hurts. Oh, that draft. Mm, as happy as I am about this draft with with Brown and Davis and Jerkins and Dean. That's how mad I was about Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts. I was on the phone with my brother when we drafted Hurts. I was standing at my dad's house uh, in front of the TV. And my brother, he couldn't hear the TV. So uh, I go, with the with the pick, the Eagles select. I'm just like repeating what the commissioner says. And then he goes, Jalen Hurts. And I had heard them talking about it on the broadcast. So I knew who he was. I knew he was a quarterback in the story. And I just, I slammed myself to the floor and I just go, no! And Michael's like, what, what? Uh, Michael's my brother, and I go, um, we took a quarterback! And he goes, quarter or corner? Because, like, we needed a quarterback. And I go, quarter! He's like, what? It was so bad. Yeah, that was, was the worst pick ever. It was. Well, we, well, we got to go to break now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about A.J. Brown, Hollywood Brown, uh, some of the biggest trades made in the draft, and talk about some more winners and losers. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Wednesday Windup. Mitchell Smedley sitting along the beautiful Jack Heim. Oh, thank you very much, We're Mitchell. We're talking NFL draft. We've got so there's so much going on in the sports world, but it can be simplified currently by one color, Mr. Mr. Heim, and that is brown. Two brown. trades right in a row um, of AJ and Hollywood Brown going to the Eagles and Cardinals, respectively. Two blockbuster trades. Uh, my buddy, who's a Ravens fan, he was—he he just also loves sports in general, loves seeing big things happen. He was ecstatic. He couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was texting people like during I the draft, and I was kind of like doing a bunch of stuff, homework and stuff. And I, I, I saw the headline, and it almost didn't seem real that AJ Brown was an Eagle. And then finding out that a guy like Hollywood had also moved, it was really surreal. Your take. It was. Uh, you know, we talked about AJ a little bit and the impact he's going to have with the Eagles, but I think Hollywood Brown's a good get. Pairs him with his old college quarterback at Oklahoma mm-hmm. as Kyler Murray and Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, had, you know, they, they had a great connection in college. I think they might be trying to rekindle that in the NFL. I think they could. Uh, but, you know, Lamar Jackson was pretty devastated about that trade. You know, he was good friends be. with He was good friends with Marquise Brown and Who's going to catch he the was ball? Sad to see him go. Yeah, facts. You know, <laughs> outside of Bateman? Hey, outside, outside of Mark Andrews, <laughs> they, they, they do not have a lot of options to throw the ball to. So. They have, dude, it's like watching the Eagles. What are you going to put Greg Ward out there? <laughs> Sorry, You Lamar can have Jackson. Rager if you want. Have Rager go to the Ravens. That actually sounds like a decent trade that could be done. I'm not even lying because they need. They need. And Rager is just, get him off my team, please. <laughs> 
<laughs> dude, that's such that's such something my dad would say, dude. Every night with the Mets, he's like, dude, you're so bad. Just get off my get team. Get off my team. You're dude, you were brought in here not because you're the best receiver on the board, because that is clearly Justin Jefferson. <laughs> you were brought in here because you have special teams uh potential. And you're dropping kicks. Get off my team. You haven't returned a kick, I don't think, since the one in Green Bay two years ago. I'm sorry to be laughing at the mic, but I think my highlight, I think my favorite Jalen Rager moments oh. were the two drops he had at the end of the Giants game last oh year when the Giants won God. in the Meadowlands. That was amazing. No. I, was, I was like, I'm going to, you know, Jalen Rager, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to buy your jersey, buddy. Dude. I'm going to buy your jersey. You're, you're amazing. I love He's you. So Sign a lifetime contract. Sign a Bobby Bonilla contract with the Eagles, Jalen Rager, please. You know what the you know what the interesting thing is? I, I equally despise the draft pick. Or I, 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 I shouldn't say. I much more hate the Rager pick than the Ortega Whiteside pick. The difference with Whiteside, we, we don't like him in Philly. But he's out of the way. He's blocking. He's at least doing something right, and that's why they're going to make him a tight end. He's been quietly terrible. <laughs> Jalen Rager is in your face, double exclamation mark. I am the worst player on this franchise. And it is right in your face every day. The ball is always near him because management just can't fathom the fact that he's a terrible football player. I feel like I'm ranting about Aaron Nola again. Howie he's Rosen. just a bad player. Okay, Howie, you crush this draft. Keep the good stuff going and get Rager out of here. Yeah, you just can't accept that Jalen Rager is a bad football G-R-O, player. G R O, get Rager out. Yeah, grow, Howie. It's time for the team to grow. <laughs> I love that model on the fly. I just came up with that. That was so great off the cuff because I knew you did. Ne- I did not think you prepared that. That was amazing. No, but, I didn't. Uh, I would have said it to you by now. Yeah, you absolutely would have. Uh, but I think we got to look at another win. I think Buffalo. I think Buffalo did a good job in this draft. Buffalo's such a good needs. team. They got Kyrie Elam in the first round, addressed that corner spot. They got someone to pair alongside on the outside with Tredavious White. They signed Von Miller, of course. Uh, this offense is just as good as last year. I think the Bills are roaring, ready to go. They could be the top seed in the AFC when it's all said and done. They are the playoffs mad about could that go playoff loss. through Buffalo. It is incredible, and I am pulling for the Bills. You Me know, too. I, I am a I like Josh Allen. I like the city of Buffalo. I think their fans are incredible. They're so passionate. And it's just to see the Bills have success and to bring home a title, I think would be really, really good. Uh, not not just for the city of Buffalo, but I think it's good for, for football. I think the Bills are a likable team outside of being an AFC East rival fan of New England, Miami, and the Jets. I think the Bills are a likable football team. I really do. I really agree with you. The fans are just – I love Bills Mafia. It is so I, – I, the name, I love Bills Mafia. Like, that's insane. Yeah, that just pops. Like, I love the top two teams in the AFC. Uh, the Chiefs, I love the Chiefs. And I love the Bills. But uh, honestly, that underdog sort of mentality that the Bills are going to be having because they got snuffed in the... in the How about that crazy game, man? Yeah, I don't know if it's more underdog. I think it's just like mad. Mad. Just I think it's just like upset. that. Just, just like, I am back. coming for you and nothing is going to stop me. Like, imagine if Josh Allen can keep up the play he was at in the playoffs. He was insane in the playoffs. He was incredible. If, if anyone ever wants entertainment... Or if you're if you're one of these people like you like sports but football's not your thing, please go back and find either the highlights or the replay of the Bills Chiefs playoff game. It was that not one of the most entertaining games of your life, Jack? Yeah, that was incredible. I was on the phone with my dad. We were talking about other stuff, and oh my, Lanta, 
the the final minutes of that even the, the, the whole game is a in general there was crazy touchdowns already there was like crazy defensive plays it was just all going on you know 70 yard touchdowns it had everything and then oh man those final two minutes were just absolutely unreal it Gabriel was. Davis with the game of his life four touchdowns it yep. was insane that game was absolutely incredible and they lost they did and they lost it was one of the best played games ever by a team in the Bills, Josh Allen, as a quarterback, and they lost because of a stupid rule. Which changed. Yes, but it's a stupid rule. Yeah. Uh, it was. So yeah, it's I am excited to see the Bills situation. the Bills plus anger equals uh winning. Nineteen and zero in a seventeen game yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Um no, they're they're gonna be really good this year. Yeah. I just I love Diggs. I'm just so excited to see the AFC race unfold because there's so many good teams. You know, you have the Bills, of course. You mentioned the Chiefs. The Bengals are gonna be good. You know, their running back was the same team they had last year, but they upgraded the offensive line. Uh, they got an interior guy. Yep. So uh, Titans the defensive are gonna line, come out of the South. Titans, or maybe even the Colts. Colts are making a little bit of the run. <laughs> I mean, Matt they Ryan there. Carson Wentz. <laughs> they did, and they got Matt Ryan, who can still play a little bit. I, I miss. Mean, I, I, mean, I miss Carson Wentz. He's not mobile, but. You really miss Carson Wentz? I. It's time for hot takes, Jack. Talk about an unpopular take among the Here's the, the fans. unpopular take. Carson Wentz is still a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Whoa, that is spicy, man. That I is spicy. understand the pain we went through with throwing balls 10 feet over receivers' heads in the end zone. I understand that. I watched the games too, Philly. But he's better than Jalen Hurts. And if, if Carson Wentz was here throwing to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and had Miles Sanders with him, this is a great team. If we had some secondary. We're still going to suck because we don't have a secondary. We're going to be losing 42-38 to 38 every game. But Carson Wentz is... I, I don't know what's wrong that he's not doing well. And he's just way too in his own head. I uh, Yeah, I really think so. He's just all mental. He's got it's the physical tools. really a weird thing because I, I, I go down a crazy thought train of we got the one Super Bowl because Foles played so well. But if he hadn't and Carson was able to keep a good mindset throughout his career, could we have had two Super Bowls? Three Super Bowls? I don't know. And it's really an interesting thing. To, it's probably not true, but it's, it's interesting for me at least to lay awake and think about and cry myself to sleep because he's now on the commies. The commanders. Commanders, yeah, that's that's what I said. It's obviously what I just said. Um, obviously, <laughs> very obvious. I don't even know why you would question that. You got a notebook, don't you? I do have a notebook. Go for it. That's Carson a great Wentz, transition. Better than Jalen Hurts. Hottest take I'll give today. Hottest take Mitchell will give today. Uh, but attention, KU community. Did you know that KU faculty and staff members can join KUR? Contact KUR at kutztown.edu to express your interest in joining. You can also call 610-683-4059 or stop by rooms 188 or 190 in the McFarland Student Union Building. Lastly, you can come to our weekly meetings in Rickenbach Learning Center, room 135 on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Make sure to talk to an e-board member, director, or Mike Reggs before or after the meeting. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Welcome back to the Wednesday one of everybody here as we wind down on the final seven or so minutes of today's show. I'm Jack Heim alongside Mitchell Smedley, my co-host. We were talking about NFL AFC race, you know, we talked a little bit a little bit about the NFL draft, but I think it's more interesting to look about how these teams are shaping up, you know, as we move farther along into the offseason and as the NFL season slowly but surely makes its Dude, way here. We're only like 
couple three months. Three months from preseason. Yep. August preseason, man. We're, we're getting there. We are getting there, Jack. I, I am so excited to have two full hours with you during football season. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Be it here is. Wednesdays, 2 to 4 for the Wednesday wind-up 2022 uh, fall edition. And I think that's a great point because I brought it up to start the show that this is the last sem- uh, last show of the semester here live in the studio. But so we're going to try to, yeah, I know, very sad. But we're going to try to oh, keep it up over the cool. summer, uh, you know, with bi-weekly recordings or really whenever we can do it uh, based on schedule availability. Yep. Uh, but, you know, Lots like to talk about over the summer, like Mitch mentioned, you know, we're going to have a full two hours here every Wednesday in the fall semester. Every week we're going to be hitting you with the biggest sports news. Us two, I know. Tangoing out for two hours, you know, it's a lot of fun with one hour just talking, but two full hours. Two, two full hours. Well, we're going to need it because we're going to have a new NFL season going on. We're going to have MLB coming down the stretch. The Phillies won't be involved by that point, probably. Uh, you know, and then eventually NBA and NHL are going to start up. So it's really going to be a packed couple of hours. It is. It is going to be a great couple I of hours. I am so excited. But rounding off today's show with the last talking point, I think, you know, keeping it with the NFL. And we talked about some winners and losers of the draft. I think one more loser. You know, we mentioned New England as a loser. I think Atlanta has a you know has a hat to throw in that ring, yeah. possibly. Um, let's see who else. Who else did not? Titans. Titans did not do a whole lot. Uh, yeah, they traded away AJ Brown and got a lesser version of him. And so, Traylon Burks. Yeah. Malik Willis is solid. Oh, speaking of, did you see Ryan Tannehill? What he had to say? No, I didn't. So he was in a uh, interview with the media. And uh, you know they were talking about him. You know, you know he's a 34 year old quarterback, and Malik yeah. Willis is going to be the future of Tennessee. They picked him in the third round this year, but they think he can be their next guy. Uh, Ryan Tannehill blatantly came out word for word verbatim uh, and said, "It is not my job to mentor him for the future." Ooh, so that is spicy. Uh, he clearly does okay. not like to pick up a quarterback in this draft. Uh, but look, ta- look, Ryan Tannehill, you're going to have to accept the facts. You're a 34 year old quarterback. Uh, your time's coming to a close, even though the Titans were an AFC 1C last year, uh, and you were a part of that, yes. Big part. But I think you faltered in the playoff game. I think they could have beat the Bengals. Uh, Absolutely. His did not interception play well. led to the uh, the winning field goal. Yeah, exactly. That was his fault. All, all on him. That that interception late in the game, that's all on Tannehill. That is that's on a, Tannehill. Not a good throw. Not a good throw. Uh, but, you know, again, Tannehill, look, <laughs> you're, you're an aging quarterback, man. You know, your career is... Going down the latter half, you're 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 on the plus side of thirty. You know your replacement was going to be coming in sooner rather than later. If not this year, more than likely next year. You gotta just you know face the you, music, fa- bud. face the facts, face the facts, man. Face the music and whether music you like city. mentoring him or not, you gotta you know exactly just take it on the chin uh, and accept that you're not the future of the Titans anymore. You're 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 getting old, and it is what it is. Uh, so I think it's just a very immature response from a veteran quarterback. I think yeah. you definitely could have worded that way differently uh but overall i just was not a fan of the way he approached that again it's not good to know you're going to be replaced in a couple years but you have to accept the fact that you're going down the tail end of your career you know i think you got maybe three to four years up and you're done you know it's just it is what it is that is the way of a pro athlete as one guy comes towards the end no matter how good he is there is another guy who's going to have to step in and be the future and you know you're going to have to be mentoring him along the way a little bit and showing the rope. So yep. how, however much you might not like it, it's the way of the road and it's the way it's been for a long time now. Uh not just in the NFL and a lot of sports. So Always. is what it is. Buckle up, get used to the ride, Ryan. Uh, you know, the, you're you're going on the last couple of years here. Jack, before we close, I want you to give me uh way too early uh just your Super Bowl prediction. Super Bowl prediction. Oof. 
Wow, that's a tough question on the spot. I know. I'm throwing it on the spot. I know we talked about don't give you things on the spot, but I'm giving this one to you. It's a big enough picture. AFC is just so murky. It could go so many of ways, but just you know what? One. We're going just Buffalo. Oh, I was going Buffalo too. Buffalo to the AFC. And uh, I'm going with the Bucks. Oh, I'm going with the Rams. Can't doubt Brady. Yes, you can. He lost to them. He did. He lost literally but to they, the Rams. But they pulled off that insane comeback to make it even a tie game. They didn't pull it off. They oh, not pull it off. They they, they got tied. On their finger. They got tied and they pulled off. The Matt Stafford pulled off the clutch game-winning drive yep. on which he found Cooper Cup. And then they kicked the field goal with Matt Gay to win it. And then he found Cooper Cup a heck of a lot more in the Super yeah, Bowl. I mean, Cooper Cup's just incredible. He's so good. I was going to pick Rams-Bills, but I didn't want to copy you. You knew I was going to go Rams-Bills? You know what? No. No. I knew you were going to go the Rams. I didn't know about the Bills. Eagles, Bills, Eagles win Super Bowl 50, whatever the heck we're on now. <laughs> I thought you said there was only going to be one hot take today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's more of an Orioles World Series pick. Yeah, that that's like a scorching hot take. That is like a uh, laughably hot take. Yeah, that's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a great way to describe it. But, uh, you know, it's obviously a joke about the Orioles. You the never World know. Series. We are tied with the Rams in the standings right now. We're tied for first in the NFC East. Yeah, the Giants are tied with the Rams. And the so. NFC. And the NFL. We are tied for first. As Kevin Garnett once said, anything's possible. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't say it the way he said it because I didn't want to be obnoxious. But he did say it uh, after the Celtics won the title in 08, I believe, is when that, that, that team won it. But um, anyway, uh, we're winding down the final minute of today's Ooh, show. Winding down? Uh, yes. On the wind up. Winding down on the wind the up. The wind up's winding down. We yeah, the wind up is winding down. On. Yeah, that's we should. Really I think that's good. a good closing point, man. Fantastic. It is. You know, it's a really good idea. Uh, All right, this Wednesday windup is winding down. Uh yes, this Wednesday windup is indeed winding down. Uh but I think we gotta talk about the Steelers a little bit. You know, not I was gonna 30 say thirty seconds. Kenny Pickett, Pickett George yeah. Pickens, a lot of pick. Who do you think is gonna win the quarterback job there? Rudolph Trubisky. I think Pickett. it's Pickett. He's twenty four. He's very well developed. I think you gotta go with Pickett. You gotta arrive at the I future so. now. I think Mitchell Trubisky's gonna be out. Uh, Rudolph will probably be the backup, and Pickett will struggle. Quite he's, got, a bit. he's got to adjust. Yes. Uh, but, th- you know, we got to close today's show. Just final 10 seconds. Just want to thank everybody for listening thank to today's you so show. Much. It's been a great semester. It's been a great ride. We'll be back uh, hopefully sometime soon. But just thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, uh, and hopefully talk to everyone soon. Thank you.